Hello. Oh, hi, Merlin. How is everything Wednesday? Good morning. Good morning, kind sir. Uh, can I ask you a question? Go ahead, caller. <clears throat> Thank you, first time micer. Um, so I got this microphone. <laughs> you sound good. Thank you. How am I supposed to talk into it? Am I am I supposed to? And I, I don't want to watch a podcast about this. Just give me the give me the the the, the high and tight. Give me the quick and dirty. <laughs> now, do I talk right into the dingus, or do I do it at an angle? Is that a changing the way it sounds episode to episode? Should I be inverted? You you want to be hanging. You want to be a little loose. You want to be limber. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you see what I'm doing with my shoulders? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's what I'm talking about. No, mm-hmm. you you want to. Uh, you very much will want to talk into the end of the microphone. It's called like a shotgun. You so that so that the end is the flat part. You want to talk like right into that. Have that pointing right at your your uh, your your pretty mouth. I've got, mm, I've I've got it at about eleven thirty. Like yeah, you can off, be a little off, off, off axis. axis. Sure, mm. be off axis. Mm. <laughs> Looks a little bit like uh, <clears throat> it's in the kind of the Watchmen area. Yeah, right, okay. right. You can be you can be in that space. You can be right right on it. You can be a little bit off. All right, you sound great. Thank you, Dan. Whatever I'm really tra- I'm trying to become a professional podcaster. You are one. I want to build my brand. Build it. Build my strengthen build- it. My brand builder. <laughs> ha. No time limits today, man. Woo! We can do it. Well, I'm just hitting this bell like crazy. It's I like, like the bell. I got so many seltzer cans, I can barely get to my bell. So uh, you're going to be needing to take a little a little break sometime. No, during. no, no. Don't worry. These are from like last week. We're good. Um, I've already had one uh, one potty break. I might take another. You okay. never know. I mean, whatever you need to do. I appreciate. I just the get age. some kind of uh, e catheter. It'd be like vaping, but for your wang. There's and vaping has been in the news. They keep coming out with newer vapes and. I gotta tell you, yeah, it seems like it, you know it's very controversial here in San Fran, San Fran in Frisco, <laughs> as we like to call it, Santa Frisco, Santa del Frisco, <laughs> the city by the bear. <laughs> you know the story about that song? I I do not know the he story. He wrote it about. He wrote it about Los Angeles. You want to hear how it originally went? Yeah. When the lights go down in the city. And the sun shines on L.A. Is that true? Yeah, because then they're like, oh, that's right. We're supposed to be from uh, San Frantastic. We should, we should, uh, we're supposed to be Frisco-licious. So we have to change it to, to by the bear. Is that I don't true? Know, I don't know why I always seem like Eddie Vedder now. I don't know. I like it. <laughs> it's good. In that way, oh, anytime you want me, yeah, yeah. You've ruined today. you've ruined Marcy for me. By the way, I just want to <laughs> I just want to be upfront about Have that. I? Yes, Have completely really? ruined. Like I can't. It. Uh, I shouldn't say ruined it. You've you've made it so that I can no longer just hear Marcy. It took midnight train going anywhere. La la la. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah. I. Yeah. <laughs> I would say I'm sorry if I thought that it would change your mind. You can ruin any song by singing it like the way I sing it, like Morrissey. Do you find that you sing mostly in in a Morrissey-affected type way when you're just sort of singing to something? That's a really good question, Dan. I sing along to a lot of things, including songs that aren't on, you know, existence. Yeah. And and so for me, uh, my go-to is singing... The harmony that's a little too high for me, and it's a little out of tune, but I go for it anyway. <laughs> like, if it's a Sloan song, I'm always singing the harmony, and yeah. it's bad. Yeah. No, it's bad. Those guys are good, and I can't do it. 
But I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll, I'll do a real robust kind of with, with my reedy tone. I'll, I'll bust kind of an arena sound. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just walking around. Man, that's no suits. Up. See, it's way too high. <laughs> la, la, la. <laughs> Anything else? You got any requests? <laughs> no, no. I'll, I'll work oh, on it. came from the land of the ice <laughs> and the snow. La, la, la. Oh, anyway, it's the worst. You got to just quit doing that. It's bad. So I'm trying to sing into the right part of the mic. Um, I sent you that image. We can't talk about it because that's a spoiler. Oh, it's good. Yeah. What's that Angel? from? Tomorrow's uh, X-Men. Well, I'm sorry. The X-Men that comes out tomorrow. Tomorrow's X-Men is a different universe. No, uh, it's tomorrow's um, all new X-Men, I think. That's pretty, pretty funny. I am getting real persnickety about which kinds of art I like. It's really, it's as, as I mature yes. as a comics uh, person, <laughs> if you can do such a thing. Yes. Yeah. I get, I get more and more persnickety about what I like. I am not even like one style, but I can, I definitely know what I don't like. I think it has a lot to do with, I don't like the way some things are colored. That's a huge thing. Coloring is a big part of it. I totally agree with you. I'm totally. It seems like you don't like the pencils, but like when I see Jim Lee's, some of the Jim Lee's X-Men stuff, mm-hmm. I'm like, ugh, this is so gross. But then I see the pencils, nothing against the colorist because it was the style at the time. You know, the, the banana style, but Jim Lee's penciling is amazing. And he's, well, then, he's one of the best. He's one of the all-time best, especially the stuff that he did with uh, Batman and, and Hush. Batman looks great. Oh my gosh. Hush was is the definitive, for me, if you really want to see, like, especially those new trailers that have been coming out for Batman versus Superman, a lot of people are saying, well, what's that from? Like, look at this stuff that Jim Lee was doing in the hush time period and the way that he sort of drew the sort of bigger, stronger, not cartoonish Batman. Like, to me, I feel like they're drawing from that stylistically much more than they're drawing from a, a lot of what you're seeing now in, in Batman. But – yeah, like I, I'm totally with you on how important the, the coloring part of it is. Anytime you see the pencils, you're like, wow, that's amazing. And color can either screw it up completely or take it to a level you wouldn't have imagined. But that marriage of this pencil and color mm-hmm. is so important. Well, and, and, and the, and this is going to be very short. We're not going to be a comics podcast. You hope, but um, you know, the, <laughs> each of those three roles you know, so often I guess done by different people can have such a, we talked about this with the Jack Kirby thing where somebody had uh, shown a Jack Kirby, some Jack Kirby pencils that had been inked by like six different people and they're completely different. Wow. Even with, just because there's that, that's so much of what goes into it. I think it might be inking that does it, but today, you know, there's some stuff where you see it's, I, I'm guessing a, a majority of stuff is done on the computer as far as coloring. Yeah. I, and even when it doesn't look like it's being done on computer, a lot of the time it's still being done on computer, which is a testament, I think, to how good the tools are. But I don't know, like, I don't know if, if I could tell, but there is that one style when you look at it, and I think uh, Ultimate Spider-Man was like this and maybe still, but there was a, a certain style of Ultimate Spider-Man for a while there where it was very, very clear that it was being done on a computer, but mm-hmm. didn't bother me. And and that's mm. the weird part of it is like when it it has a certain look that I can find a little bit off-putting. And I remember when I had um, at Austin Comic-Con, uh, I guess it was two or three years ago, Ramos, who's still... Mm-hmm. My, my one, of, if if not my all time favorite, in my top two or three all time favorite comic artists, especially for for the way he draws Spider Man. He was at the Austin Comic Con, very very stylized. 
Oh, very stylized. Very. And you either, I think he's kind of polarizing. You either like Mm -hmm. it or you don't. I agree. And I remember I had a, there was, I had him, you can wait in the line, you can get him to draw something. I said, I really wanted him to draw a black cat. And I think I've sent you the picture of of Mm -hmm. the black cat that he did. And for a little bit extra, he would color it too. And of course, this is not on computer. He's just him sketching it out and then coloring it. And his colors were amazing. I mean, like he is an amazing colorist also. And you've got to wonder, and I wonder this all the time, like when David Grohl sits down to like play, you know, write a song or play a song. Famously, he was a drummer forever and obviously still a drummer. But like when you hand off one of those duties that you know you can do very well and it's like, well, I'm going to I'm going to sing now. I'm going to be the front man. Now. I'm going to hold a guitar instead of sitting behind the drum kit. Like, would you worry? Would you be able to hand that off as your role saying, right. I know that I can do this and maybe I could do it? the way I want it done or a little I'll bit, bit better. I'll bet with Marvel, Marvel is, is such a speeding train in terms of production. I mean, it's just, you really got to get it out. So I bet that division of labor is a big help. And I think doing the coloring on a computer, I'm guessing, makes a big difference. Um, yeah. check, check out that link I'm looking I just now. sent. So this is, uh, this is uh, uh, my, uh, my pal, I think, yeah, you probably know John, John Golson, um, posted some stuff on Twitter showing changes in time over when things have been recolored, like this Walt Simonson Thor being recolored. Um, God, this Moebius one is just an atrocity. But look at, look at, for example, I had never seen the original, I guess I've, I've only seen the digital and subsequently recolored physical copy of Killing Joke. Look at look at the difference on Killing Joke. I'm looking at this now. It's got a little slider that you can, I'm looking at it on my phone so you can just slide the little uh, oh, that's cool. thing across it. So in the original one, this this page is like super vivid and very hot. Like a lot of lot of red, orange, kind of bright pink. It's really hellish. And it's, you know, obviously it's the Joker being the Joker. And the next one's not bad, but it's pretty toned down and a much more contemporary palette. Like even like I said, I've been kind of obsessed with Watchmen lately. I mean, the palette in that is is so crazy. It's, it's so bright. It's almost like well, you think I don't know if is pop art the right. It's almost like an Andy Warhol kind of a color scheme. That's a good. That's a good point because if you go and look at any like what's funny is if you go and look at digital copies of one that comes to mind is Avengers, mm. old Avengers. They are like pop art in the sense that they are they are so bright and so saturated and. Uh, and the funny part is if you pick, you know this, you pick up an old comic and look at it, it looks so different. It looks much more muted because of the, I think because of the limitations of printing, um, they had to really, I want to say oversaturate it. To, 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 get, to not, get the color to go. On that cheap, porous comic book right. paper, they had to really go crazy with it. So, you know, when you move it over to, like even like the um, John Byrne X-Men stuff that I love so much, it's, it's really like, wah, it's like really, really bright. But yeah, I, I think it's super interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know if our, our listeners are interested in that. I'll tell you what's neat. Uh, you know, I'm a fan of the Hawkeye. If you get that second Hawkeye trade, um, this is my life is a weapon and tiny hits, maybe I think it's called. Anyway, volume two of the Hawkeye trade uh, has a big thing in the end where they show uh, basically just the colors with all the lines and inks removed. And it's amazing to see how, um, how artful that process is. I, so I, there, there are a lot. Well, speaking of comics, we've got to tell you. We, I got to tell you something. Like that. The, the Avengers two is coming out, about to come out. Right. We get the new Star Wars trailer. We've got the 
Ant-Man trailer out. We've got the new Batman versus Superman trailer out. We've got Daredevil uh, and The Flash. And by the way, I finally sat down to watch some of the sort of extended trailers for The Flash based on your recommendation. And I, I think I'm ready to dive into this because cool. you were saying it's good. Uh, there's also it looks like Green Arrow is in The Flash. Yeah, there's a separate, uh, the show that preceded Flash in, well, there's a show called Arrow. There's about Green Arrow. And The Flash is, I think, a technically like a spinoff. So Arrow's been around for two or three seasons. But Hawkeye is not the Green Arrow. Mm-mm. That's a Marvel DC type situation. Right. And it, it, how, how Green, do you explain? Green Arrow is also not Green Lantern. How do you explain this to a seven-year-old? <laughs> there are yeah. two guys, for all intents and purposes, to, to, to my seven-year-old are the same guy. Yeah. They live in different universes. They don't interact in any way. They're doing kind of the same thing, uh, but they're different. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's, it, it is, it's very difficult to explain. And I, I get it wrong, get these things wrong all the time. I'll tell you, tell you one reason I think you're really, I, I really recommend you watch uh, the Netflix daredevil is that this is not a, I don't think this is a spoiler. <clears throat> I mean, the thing that I think is widely known is they don't roll out his costume until very late in the season. I'll just leave it at that. But he basically is just a guy in a black shirt and pants with basically like pantyhose on his head. Like and us. Like us. Like <laughs> 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 just walking around on rooftops at night. <laughs> Anybody need a hero? <laughs> I can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I, eventually i'll get some horns uh, <laughs> i smell something um but yeah i think i'll tell you boy watching it though and i god i love it so much i've watched almost all of them twice and some of them three times and um i think what hmm? i'm just <laughs> hero hero for hire hell's kitchen are you gonna finish that uh, uh I, well one thing that makes me think you're really gonna like it is it is that his character is a lot like batman in in you know in in a certain ways yeah well, i totally agree with that yeah that he's basically he's fed up with these criminals getting away with stuff in in his city and his part of the city in particular and that's so so much feeds into what's great about it is there's a series of uh supers capes whatever you want to call them like marvel superheroes or you know characters that are all based in Hell's Kitchen, and mostly doing stuff in Hell's Kitchen. Like, you know, Iron Fist and Luke Cage and everybody. And they're on that, it isn't like they're out there like punching Chitauris in the face. They're, they're protecting their little part of the city. And it's, it's pretty... But the Batman part is, I mean, he is... It's a, it is TVMA. I mean, it is gruesome in parts. Like, uh, surprisingly, like, wow, I can't believe they showed that gruesome at, at times. Um, but, I mean, it's a lot like Batman. Batman, the Batman of our time, of the last generation will go places because he has to go places. And as somebody pointed out, you know, I, I don't have a strong opinion on this. I could see why you could go either way, but like Daredevil does some things that are basically like torture at points. Thing that makes Daredevil different from like a guy in the CIA is he can tell whether you're telling the truth. So in a ticking bomb scenario, anyway, I'm not saying torture is a good thing, but it's a really good program. Cut that out. Yeah, I'll delete all that. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you're enjoying your train ride. <laughs> If I could just have a moment of your time, does anybody need a hero? I'm a veteran. <laughs> Do uh, we a lot have... of good, There's a lot of good stuff. Oh, no, no. We should talk about all these things. This is very important. All of my follow... I should just read you my list. This is just... Microphone. 
Piriformis, Comic Meetup, Lebowski, Trailer, and Norbert the Three Pound Registered Therapy Dog. That's all I got. I also got some follow up from listener Marcus. Um, but that's all I Marcus got. Marcus Audio Marcus? Uh, Marcus Audio Marcus? Or a different Marcus. It sounds like I want to. Can I clear? Kind of... I have a one piece of follow up. Drop one it. Drop piece. the FU. Well, should I do the thing first? Yeah, do a thing first. Tell me about something you like. I would like to tell you about Tripcase. Uh, today's episode is brought to you by Tripcase. They have a special URL if you want to explore the offering. It's Tripcase. <laughs> Did you make that? I up? just came up with that. I mean, they're going to have to run. <laughs> wow! It's you know, I'm building my my brand. I would like to provide you <laughs> with some information in the event. What is it? Explore the offering? I'd like to, you know, if you I just made it up. In the event that you would like to explore the <laughs> offering. Yeah. Hero. hero. <clears throat> Tripcase.com <clears throat> slash B2W. Tripcase is a really, really cool app. Uh, it's designed for people who travel. You don't have to travel a lot, but when you are traveling, it's one app that does a lot of jobs really, really well. They will basically handle everything from the Uber integration. So when you show up at the place you're going, there you can you can get the Uber right there from within the app. Weather, destination weather, travel weather. They've got free flight alerts for if there's a change to your flight, if changing gates, updates, all of that stuff. You can share your trip. They've got this really cool remember your place feature so that as you are traveling, if you go to that really awesome restaurant on Knob Hill, you can remember it and you can say, I want to go back there again next time you tap it and uh, boom, you've remembered it. Like I said, oh, seed maps. They got seed maps so you can better pick and like organize your, your, your flight and be, you don't want to be near the bulkhead. So all of this stuff, one app and it is a really, really cool app and it's free. You can go to tripcase.com slash B2W to support this show and uh, and go and get this free app. And it's really, really great. So go check it out. Thanks very much to Tripcase for, uh, for supporting Back to Work. Explore the offering. Explore it. So my, uh, my, here's my follow-up. A lot, people keep writing me to tell me that, yes, the, the pinch thumb thing is a known symbol for stop in uh, in the Middle East. That's what they that's keep. What, that's what listener Marcus uh, Marcus says. Oh, that's mm-hmm. that was Marcus. I can back up the fingers and thumb held together gesture as being one used in the Middle East to indicate just wait. I you know here's the thing, Dan. This is the hard part about life is that sometimes everything could be true and not still not be the whole picture. Well, I, I want everything say- that people saying is true, but I don't think that's what the guy was telling you. It's it's first of all, it's not. Second of all. I don't think if I need to play this back, but I don't think that I said that that's what he did. I think I said it was more of a jiggling of the fingers uh, than than a, a, a thumb over the thing. I'd have to I'm going to have to play it back to see what I said. He, I, I'm the one that I'm the one that spun it as a pinch in the body out of a crawfish. Yeah. That was, yeah, and I think that was uh, just my interpretation of what you're describing. You're describing a, a thumb and a forefinger coming together, and then a, I think you said a, like a fiddling, a fiddling of the fingers, fiddling, 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 yeah, fiddling of the fingers. But I, I will say, from what I know of him, that uh, he is not Middle Eastern. He has pr- probably never been to the Middle East. He is not from a Middle Eastern family, and his uh, spouse is not Middle Eastern. It's certainly possible 
that he was doing that gesture, even though that's not what it looked like to me. Um, but I don't think so. And since then, we've talked about it and it, you know, that's not he he was trying to get my attention rather than make me stop mm-hmm. per se. So anyway, there you go. OK, that's my follow up okay. for the week. Is everything still okay? The trailer's still gone? The trailer's all right? still gone. Uh, there have been other kind of repair vehicles that have come and gone, but none have stayed and remained. And a bunch of people have been tweeting me that they now have white trailers parked either next door or yeah, across the street. Yeah, I saw that. Street. Was that Dan, Dan Sturm? <laughs> Somebody had a trailer in front of their house. But yeah. There's been more than one who's emailed me about it. So keep keep a lookout. I think there's something mm-hmm. going on here in the world. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this involves a, a minor, so I don't want to talk too much about it. But you last on last week's program, you said that he, uh, the son, was out in front. I sent you, uh, yes, he was practicing with a safety sword. You sent another photo. This time, he had a stunt rifle. Right, I sent you a picture of the rifle being sort of thrown into the air. Had a, a white white stunt rifle, and he was thrown in the air like a, like a maniac. Yeah. Are there, have there been any new weapons? Does he have nunchucks or side swords or mace cans? <laughs> Is there anything else that he's throwing in the air in a military fashion? Not, not that I've been able to. Uh, note, I'm not spending as much time maybe as I should be observing him mm. uh, or his movements, tracking his movements, but uh, we're talking about the son, and the son at one point was throwing a sword, uh, and, and this time he was throwing like a a, right, a practice rifle, but I noticed that the, the daughter, there's more than one, she also has stuff that she's throwing around, and it's, I think it's a baton, like you might use in a, a march, marching type baton and i don't know maybe but i didn't see close enough maybe she's also throwing a sword around or something over this there is this sounds but they do it be... in the front yard well what are you gonna do it inside doctors no, but, have nice houses and and they are they're in what we call here in texas in a hill country they have what's called a view house hmm. which means that you sacrifice a large backyard for a beautiful gorgeous view of the hill country and they they certainly have a gorgeous view of the hill country uh, and so where are they going to do this stuff? They can't do it in the backyard. They've got to do it in in the front yard. Mm. Throwing these swords. Sounds to me like they might be parade people. Oh, yeah. The children are being raid, ra- raised in the uh, in the parade <laughs> culture of the family. And and maybe they're, they're encouraged to do things you could do in a parade. Yeah. You could spin a baton. You could throw a stunt rifle. Maybe you could clean up after a horse. But there's all kinds of things you could do. This <laughs> yeah. is part of the uh, the parade people and their culture. Yeah, they, what they have travel you? Single file, huh? Super interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I'll, well, but I'm just I'll... gonna say, keep an eye out. And you know, I think it's. I think you can really. I'll just put it this way. I. I it's concerning to me how much we can draw really, really insane conclusions about people based on a single piece of data. But but I do it all the time. I think it's you know? accurate. I think it's the safe way. Well, here's the thing. If he's out there with a sword once, you go, hmm, that's interesting. He's out there with a sword a couple times, you go, wow, that kid really likes to throw a sword. He's out there, he throws a sword twice, he comes out, he's got a stunt rifle. That, that's a young man who's going places in parade culture. Well, parade keep, keep an culture, eye on that guy. Oh, you, I think you had said something that maybe it was like an ROTC that was my rec. That was my reckon. I was in, um, in a military school, and um, in addition to the cl- close order uh, drill stuff that we did as part of our education, I was also on the drill team. And so I had to do fancy uh, marching maneuvers. Hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Were you good at that? Was it like in the opening scene of um, the Demi Moore, uh, Tom Cruise uh, thing? G- ghost. 
Death. Yeah, it was a lot like Ghost. <laughs> I uh, no, not Ghost. Uh, a few Whoa, good, a few good man. men. A few good men. Sure, sure. Yeah, you know, here's the problem. You know how it is with insider information. Like once you, uh, like, like it's hard for John Roderick to watch a World War II movie because you can tell when the planes and the guns are fake. Yeah. And for me, as a kid, when there was there was a raft of military uh, academy movies that came out, including one called uh, Military Academy, I think. <laughs> anyway, there was you had oh, the Omen. You had um, you had uh, what was the one before A Few Good Men that Tom Cruise was in? Um, the Firm. When he was young. Yeah, no, right. The one thing more exactly. No, when he was young, he was one in one called uh, Risky Slap Business or Risky Business, right? With uh, Rebecca De Mornay. Yeah, That's, I, I think you're thinking of Jeffrey Jones. Anyway, um, <laughs> there's a lot of those movies, and it's tough on a fella. It's tough on a fella who who knows from uh, marching culture to watch something like that and go, those guys, they they would just get their asses kicked. They would be they would be flicked with towels literally for hours for for marching like that. I have put the marching scene that we're discussing into the show notes, which can be found at five by five tv slash b two w slash two one seven. Um, Christopher so we Guest. Would, we would march, march in in, uh, in parades. We would march just because we marched. Got to be careful not to lock your knees, or you'll pass out. You got to tell the new kids that the new what? boys. Yeah, you don't want to lock your knees, or you'll pass out. You'll pass out. You pass out. This is this is St. Petersburg, Florida, my friend. This is this is St. Petersburg. This is you don't lock your knees. What happens so, if you lock your knees? You pass out. What? Like the heavy kid. Oh my god! What happens? You pass out. Why? I mean, what's the mechanism behind the passing out? Blood, heat, ligaments. Um, I think it probably it stops the flow of chi. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you don't uh, aerate uh, your gun, use like a neti pot, uh, you're going to have trouble with your energy uh, chakras. I don't when know. When they recolor these comics, yeah. are they starting with the pencils and recoloring them or are they going with like a master print? And oh, like a magic wand? They're just going with magic wand. Uh-huh. And- Color replacement in, in Pixelmator. I, 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 don't, I honestly don't know. It's, it's, so, it's so amazing to me to think about. They're again, doing, knowing- doing the lettering too. Yeah, I think that's kind of a thing and a problem. Like, there's some letterers that are so awfully good. And then I, I well, you know what? I'm not going to say anything. Don't no, say, say it. Let's hear it. No, I, Get, I, you no, know what? Put it, out, out. put it all out there. The show's about burying your soul. It's, uh, they're using the computers now. They, they use the computers. They just type. It's just typing. Yeah, you just type. You just pick a thing and you go in and like, you know, man, like again, in Watchmen, I think Dave Gibbons did the lettering. I'm not sure. I, I don't want to say, but I'm, I imagine he did the lettering too. And, and lettering is such an art because like when you get your script done and you get the art done, you got to figure out how to do the art so that everything will fit in bubbles into the, you know, the balloons or whatever. And then sometimes you have to go back and, and change your script in order to make it, you know, fit in any kind of reasonable way. But uh, it's, it's such an interesting process. And it's in, in a way, it's still very old fashioned in its way. You know, the idea of like producing a little book every month is, is such an interesting idea. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's all about the comic book store sales, though. Digital's still a blip. It's crazy, crazy. Oh, that reminds me. Hmm. I got to mention this. Okay, Norbert the three pound registered therapy dog. Let's come back to that. Um, wow. This, this yeah. This Thursday is the uh, the eighth uh, 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 ungainly X Man meetup at oh, Two cool. Cats Comics. Yeah, so I'll just mention this quickly. And you know, I don't know why I've got it on the calendar for weeks, and I just always forget to promote it. Uh, today is as we record this is Tuesday, the twenty first of April, um, and that's going to be on do do do. That'll be the twenty third. Does that sound right? I put it in show notes. I'll double check. 
But you uh, you go to uh, Two Cats Comics in West Portal, and, and I'll be there, and a bunch of the fun bunch will be there. Nice group, fun group, hanging out, talking about comics. Uh, Thursday, April 23rd, starts around 7. We hang out, and then we go get a drink. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And Two Cats is a great store. They have great toys, or excuse me, collectibles. They have uh, wonderful shirts. Um, they have tons of game stuff. And uh, they're really, really nice folks. So uh, it's very easily accessible with public transit. Uh, you can come out on the, on the K, the M, the L, you name it. Um, <laughs> Seventeen, twenty three, forty eight, any of them. Right. They'll go there. All, all points, all, all the great roads. You uh, come on out to uh, Two Cats Comics, 320 West Portal Avenue. Come out. It's on uh, Thursday, April 23rd. It'd be great if, uh, if you could come to that. Got to go to this. I want to go to this. I want to, yes. um, you know, matriculate toward... Toward being mm. in one go. Mm-hmm. hmm So, you know, maybe he just maybe he's very organized. Maybe he likes there's a real order to, to, to drill, you know? Yeah. If you're an obedient kid and you can learn how to not lock your knees, but he's obedient. You could just tell he's obedient. You should test him out. How? How get do a I white test? Van, get a white van, you pull it up, you, you throw some candy on the ground. Well he's in, he's in his teens, he's in high school. Well you'd be wearing a fake mustache. All right. He's in high school? Yeah. He's kind of little? I got to go back to that photo. Well, high school. Yeah, he's in high school. High school, may- maybe early college. I can't tell the difference. <laughs> this photo you took is. Oh, yeah. Look at that. <clears throat> oh, he's kind of mook- a little mooky looking. What? He's, he's a, little, a little bit beefy. Mm, maybe it's just he the angle. He looks like a guy who'd throw you into a locker. You, this is a super creepy photo you took. <laughs> <laughs> from really far away it's from my garage (laughs) it's like the courtroom exhibit and uh, it's just for you i'm not doing anything else with it i know i know i know i know but he's got there's a white rifle in midair and he's got his arms up like 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 it's about to hit him yeah that's a great photo well i'm glad that all got resolved norbert the three pound registered therapy dog what does Um, that mean what does should, that mean? We should follow up. We'll, we'll, we'll circle back to that. So we got the microphone. I saw in the dingus <laughs> yeah. with your note thing, uh, piriformis. Is that what you have? Uh, I do have a piriformis. I got two. Is that what's causing your back thing? The piriformis syndrome is what it's called. Yeah. Oh, my lady had a pir- has a piriformis thing. It's not fun, dude. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Yeah, that's that's what was a, that is has been apparently at the root of the problem, which this is, is our par- concern. This is our concern, dude. This is uh <laughs> this is a a muscle that is essentially it controls the, I guess, rotation of your leg or hip or something like that. And it's not a hip thing. It's a more of like a, to be honest, it's like a, it's it, a butt. It's, it's a, a butt. butt. Yeah. It's a butt muscle. Yeah. And I, it can, the, this muscle can, I guess, be aggravated from sitting too much, uh, but can also be aggravated from standing too much or. Well, and from just, and I think just for being my, alive and being in your forties also. For my, for my lady friend, I think it had to do with, you You're know, running, lady. <laughs> <laughs> brother Seamus <laughs> as a brother Seamus a fellow Seamus <laughs> not dead, just like you yeah proprioception that's another good one but yeah from from being a runner yeah can yeah be it's easily one of those dumb aggravated. muscles that does way more than you'd think and what happens right? is yes it very much and when it becomes irritated or inflamed it can affect the lower back it can create sciatic pain it can do all kinds of other stuff and th- there's no 
uh, quick fix for it. It just takes a long time uh. to sort of work back into into being calm and happy again. That's the worst. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. Mm. All right, that's all. I just want to cover that. Also, mm. that word, no matter how I say it, I feel like I'm saying it wrong. Piriformis. 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 You gotta get your piriformis out. Look at piriformis. Comics meet up. Big Lebowski came out. The trailer's done. Norbert the three pound registered therapy dog. What is that? Finger. What is that? Yeah, have you seen Norbert the three pound registered therapy no. dog? No. Oh. Is it a show or an actual mm. animal? <laughs> I mean, it's registered. Yeah. <laughs> it's got papers. <laughs> Didn't buy it a beer. Yeah, Norbert the three pound registered therapy dog. You've never seen him at all? Uh uh-uh. uh. What is it? Oh, just go Google Norbert the three pound registered therapy Norbert. dog. Norbert. Three pound dog. And um, he's adorable. Oh. Look at Norbert. Yeah, I see it. He weighs three pounds. He has a derpy tongue and he high fives people. And uh, he's been showing up a lot lately on cute animal sites my my daughter and I like to look at. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I, I just, I've taken note of the fact that he's almost always mentioned his full appellation is Norbert the three pound registered therapy dog. They don't just call him Norbert. You see that? You scroll down the page? Yeah, I'm seeing it's it. It's a registered therapy dog, Dan. It is a very... I, first of all, I am neither for nor against dogs. Thank you. Uh, I have never had a dog as a pet. I don't plan to have a dog as a pet. But I, So I'm, I'm pretty much uh, immune to the people who are, have dogs and all think all dogs are amazing and cute and adorable and appreciate all canines. I'm not in that camp. Right. I will say this is a pretty cute animal. Yeah. Almost, almost cute to a fault. I yeah. mean, it's kind of like Instagram cute. Yeah. Yeah. But, but when we just saw him a couple of times, it was great. But then I found out that he's famous as Norbert, the three pound registered therapy dog. Like boo famous. Mm, I don't know if he's boo famous. Did you hear that episode of <laughs> ding dong, ding dong TLDR? I think it was about being a famous dog on Instagram. No, it was super interesting. I'll find it. I'll find it. Dan, we got a lot of sponsors. Why don't you? Uh, do, do, are you in a uh, position to tell me about something you like? And let me tell you about uh, Citrix Go to Meeting. And you know what? Think about this, Merlin, for a second. Think about how explore, much. Explore the offer. <laughs> explore this offering with me for a moment. How much money and time and hassle it is to hold a meeting, especially when you have people uh, who are in various different locations. You can't just say, "Hey, Bill." Mary, Frank, let's go have a quick meeting and we'll talk. You can't do that. It's all about these ridiculous scheduling and getting everybody together in the same room and then you get them on a conference call and they sound terrible and you you can't forget all of that nonsense. There is a better way to do this. There is a smarter way to meet and it is GoToMeeting and we use GoToMeeting and it, it really is great. You can use this from your computer, your tablet, your smartphone. You don't have hassle. You don't have to drive anywhere. It's just great. And what you can do is it's like being in the same room with people, really high quality. You can share screens. So if you have a presentation to do or you just want to show a web browser, or you want to show a prototype of something that you've been working on, you can do that. Everyone sees the same thing at the same time. It's not like, oh, well, go to this web page. No, just look. This is my screen. Look at my screen. You could do all of that. You get feedback in real time. Everyone sees what you see. And uh, I would like for you to, to try to sign up at go to go to meeting today. Try it free for 30 days. Go to meeting.com. There's a little try it free button. You click that and then you have your first meeting like up and running in minutes. 
So try this out the next time you have to meet with people. It's a really, really cool free 30-day trial. And that's gotomeeting.com and click the try it free button. It really is one of those tools that, uh, especially if you're meeting with people in different locations, like you just can't do without. So go check it out. Thanks. Our thanks to gotomeeting.com for supporting Back to Work on 5 by 5 Please explore the offering. Explore it. Nor- Norbert. 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 Do you like it when they name an animal like something like, like, like a dorky name? Like, well, they'll put Mister in front of it, and like they'll have like a dog or a cat, and they'll be like, "Oh, this is a you know, Mister Green Jeans or something." You know, like I, I think I think it's kind of cute. Do you ever get tired of it after everyone starts <laughs> doing it, and it becomes like a hipster thing, and every single person's dog is named Mister Green Pants, Professor uh, Twinkle Bunny, or right, something? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to say because I have friends with, with cute dog names, so I don't, don't want to say anything. You've got a couple dogs. <laughs> My dogs are barking. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have any dogs, do you? Do they no. let you have? I was trying to come up with some some new uh, fake band names the other day for something. Yeah, and they're not that good. Pump Kevin, Craig's Fist. Um, I well, see. Here's the thing: standing I, with I, a fist. I, sometimes when I'm listening to the FM radio, they'll, I don't know anything about music anymore, and they'll announce all of these bands that are mm-hmm. going to be playing at some festival, and I'm completely bewildered. So uh, I wanted to do a radio piece that's like, oh, no, mini band's playing Pump Kevin, Craig's Fist, Weeblow Badger, Little Bomb, The Apostle Paul, Sex Dodgeball, Itch Doctor, Frank Buns, Felch Porridge, Back Pain, The Dunnats, Fan Service Dog, Lazor P Break, Emoji Stalin, Band Obsolescence. I got more. Proud Gary. This could be good for somebody. Darth Vapor. That's got to already be taken by somebody. JFK hole. Oh, um, you know, we never did this, but I know that you were uh, you were up late to yeah. order your Apple Watch. Are you excited oh, about it? Oh, I was up all night to get lucky. Taking delivery I, I've been of that? De- doing bands, uh, printing things for my arm. Uh, you know, it's, God, we never talked about which ones we picked. Mm-mm. Huh. So it's an episode of Reply All, number 19, Underdog. It's about Marnie the dog, who's one of the most, apparently, turns out, one of the most famous dogs on Instagram. Uh, that this does, I don't think Norbert the three-pound registered therapy dog was included in this piece. Bad on you, PJ Volt. But, you know, next time. It's on SoundCloud, so I don't know if anybody can listen to it. Um, that's all I've got for today, Dan. Did you want to talk more about comics or, or therapy dogs? Well, I, dogs are not like a, it's not a force in your life. Like, like for a lot of people, even the idea of dogs is not something that you, you find super interesting. Well, I, ha- yes, I have to, I have to start off this conversation by being clear. I'm not anti pets. I'm not anti dogs. Mm-hmm. And it seems like if you ever speak out in any way against uh, having a dog as a pet, you get labeled or if you will, branded as somebody who uh, does not like them. Oh, you're a dog hater or whatever. No. And I want to be clear about that, that, that I have no positive or negative feelings toward that. I grew up, had all kinds of pets, but never, for whatever reason, we never wound up having a dog. I did have cats, which is, they're kind of like dogs, but I, I also had different kind of rodents. We had a lizard at one point, birds, different kinds of parrots, all of that stuff, and uh, and a guinea pig, hmm. hamsters, uh, but and some and bunch of cats, but never had a dog. But I feel like you know the the there. It seems like there are 
there's this huge following of the dog, people who like dogs. Like there's a, there's a, it's like almost like a cult and they think all dogs are great. They love dogs. Whenever they see a dog, they get down on, on their knees to, in front of the dog to let it lick their face. They want to roll with it, with the dogs. I don't know. Yeah. I just, it's never, it's never been an appealing, you know, and then you have sort of the image of like the bachelor guy who's got a dog that he just loves and uh, I can't take it to New York with him. He has to live with his parents. He misses a dog, loves to come and visit the dog, you know, and then I've never, I've never heard. You haven't heard that? The story. Yeah, that's a story. That's, that's like, are you saying that's, a, that's like a twice told tale? Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, it is. And then, and then you have like the family that they have, you know, the, the dog and it's usually like a lab and then it, it doesn't really protect the house. And then it starts getting older and gets tumors. And, you know, like, I don't know, like the whole thing of watching an animal poop and cleaning the poop. <laughs> I've just never been into wanting to do that. Right. Uh, you know what? Gosh, first of all, you're going to get so much email about this, I and know. that's the problem. But I'm not anti-dogs. I'm not. No, I'm no, just... no. This is Listen, hear my words. As I say to my daughter, listen to my words. <laughs> I'm agreeing with you. It is really weird, and I feel this about so many things that I am very reluctant to give my opinion about, because the only thing that's worse... <laughs> To some people, the only thing worse than having a different opinion is having no opinion. It drives people crazy. And like in that case, it's like you're not saying that dogs, you're not like Cruella DeVille or something. You're not saying that dogs should be harmed and damaged. You're just saying they're like not your cup of tea. But people take that, people, I think people take that as an affront to the whole idea. Like, you know, and sometimes it's the same with parents when there are people who really do not like kids and don't like people who like kids. And that's just kind of their thing. But you know, like that, I don't know, that used to bug me a little bit, doesn't bug me so much now. But I mean, when you have a bond and you're very close to something, it becomes your thing, right? And yeah, I, I, no, it really does. And you, you kind of become, become... You're not talking about dogs, you're talking about their dog. Right. You asso- That's how it comes across. You associate with something in a very personal way. And it's the same thing, I think, for like, for like a team. Okay. So like I'm, uh, I was born and raised in Philadelphia. So I follow the teams from Philadelphia. And, and in Philadelphia, m- many people are very serious about their teams and you develop a loyalty to the teams and you have this somehow part of your identity becomes the fact that I'm an Eagles fan, I'm a Phillies fan, whatever. And that here in Texas, if you're talking about the NFL, that's Dallas. Well, like I don't walk around hating Dallas and I don't think that people in Dallas would hate me because I like, but there are people who do. And there are people who take it very seriously to the point of like, you know, like disliking or maybe even beating up a person because of their affiliation with a sports team. Well, you know, like there are people who would get very offended if I were to say uh, dogs are terrible animals. Cats are the best animals. Cats are smarter than cats are smarter than dogs. That's going to that's like a thing that would upset people. And like, it's okay if people have different opinions about which animal is smarter. And I, like, but for me, I just don't make that connection of why I, I would want to have one, why I would want to have an animal of that size in my house. I don't need it for protection. It's not, you know, yeah, it's, like, not, it's not even something that comes up until you're kind of confronted with it. And I know that my kids, I've told them, and this is another thing that evokes a response in people. We're never going to have, and I say never, that means up until uh, they move out, then they can do whatever they want. We will never have 
a dog or a cat as as a pet in our house. Like that's they understand that they don't ask for it. They know that that's not going to happen. I'm very open minded to other kinds of pets, but and then there are people who get very upset. How could you deprive your child the closeness of of you know, that special bond between and, and if they don't get it now, they'll never get it and they'll never have an appreciation for animals and they'll become animal haters when they grow up and they won't, you know, they won't, they won't care about the earth and they won't care about our environment if they don't, if, if you deprive them this special relationship they have with, with having a closeness to, to an animal. I'm, maybe that's true. I'm worried about, I'm a little worried about it. I don't know, but we're still not having a dog or a cat. Yeah. Because I, I, I don't want to take care of a dog or a cat. And if we and have will. one, I you, will. You will be the one who takes care of it. Of course. Yeah. It's like, like I've told you every time we walk out of the house, like we walked to dinner the other night. We went out for a family dinner on Friday night. And my daughter wanted to bring a, a baseball glove and a softball to, to play with while she's right, walking. Right. And I was like, uh, we're walking up the hill. Like, you know, the ball rolls down the hill. And also, you know, we're uh. going to end up carrying that in one block. She's like, <laughs> no, you won't. And I was like, well... You say that every time, and here's what I say every time. Yes, I will. I will end up carrying that. I will end up carrying that plus anything else we find along the way. If you find garbage, I will have to carry it, and then it goes to some nominal collection somewhere. But uh, and of course, within a block, we were carrying it. But you know, that, that, that's that's how it goes. Here, here, here's I think you're getting at several things. Um, there's it's a, a basic confusing problem. issue. I don't have a good handle on this issue as a whole, if you can tell. But well, no, I, I'm looking at it from both sides. I think. We all have this, there's first of all, just the basic problem of nobody thinks their own farts stink. Like it's just, I, I am a, a rose scent producing factory. I'm not, I'm not sure how to put this, but like, you know, and, and I feel like this is the same thing I end up talking about almost every week, but I, I think that there's a reason for that. It's difficult to, several things are difficult. One thing that's difficult is if you have something you feel very strongly about to where it's become like part of you, whether that could be something like religion, it could be something like the region or the city that you lived in your whole life. It could be the dog whose relationship means more to you than pretty much any other thing in the world for whatever reason, but that's, it doesn't matter why that's how it is. First of all, I think it's very difficult to separate yourself from that thing. So you are in the Venn diagram of that church. You are in the Venn diagram of that city. Right. So, and, and with the dog, same deal. So I think it's on the one hand, very difficult to not take any slight against that group, that kind of superset of things, right? So let's say you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan mm-hmm. and somebody makes a crack about Pennsylvania. I mean, that might hurt your feelings because you really like the Eagles and you take it kind of personally. Even at, there can be extremely generalized things. I have been on flights, even as a father, I've been on flights where I've been really annoyed by a kid, like who's, who's screaming and yelling. Uh, you know, in the last, say, seven or so years, I've become much more sympathetic because I know how hard that is for the person who's, you know, got that kid. Oh, yeah. But if you haven't been in that position, so on the one hand, you're the person with the, with the screaming infant. Like you feel terrible. You wish you could comfort your kid. You would probably love to be able to to sleep and be comfortable and not have screaming. Remember that screaming is closer to that person's ear and louder and all the time. And Mm -hmm. they've just gotten used to it because they have to, they're not allowed to throw it in a river. You got to keep the kid. They're not happy. And then over here, there's a, you know, Johnny business class giving you the look like, you know, can't you shut that thing up, Hawkeye, you know, and, and, That's what it feels like. Uh, yeah. And and the thing is, everybody <laughs> feels like they are the aggrieved party. There's nobody who doesn't feel like they're getting the raw end of the deal. Right. And no, I, I, but okay. So, yeah. So, so I will say 
that that is something that I remember. I was the guy in the Thai food restaurant sitting in the booth staring at somebody else's kid who is just standing at my table banging the spoon on my table while the parents are just trying to enjoy a meal across the way. Now, that's that happened. But like I realized after I had kids, I don't even hear the crying. I don't even hear the screaming. I remember one time when um, when we were on a we were on a family vacation, and I had come back, and uh, my um, my wife and daughter and brother in law were in one car, and I was I had come back with my son uh, in a separate car, and we were there like an evening early. He had school. I forget what it was, but I put him to bed, and then the, then it was like completely silent in the house, and I'm like. I don't think it's ever been silent and it sounded wrong to me. That's how I've become so, so immune. It's not that I don't hear it, but it's like I have no reaction to the sound of children screaming at the top of their lungs constantly and banging and the back of my seat being kicked and the sound of crying. Like I'm aware of these things the way that you're aware of the sound that your refrigerator makes in your kitchen, you know, mm-hmm. like you hear it. And if but you're f- not mad, you're mad, you're not mad at the sound your refrigerator makes. Like it's the, just the, part the of Buddha the said, I have no reaction to it. I hear it, but I don't, it, it doesn't affect me. So when I'm on an airplane and I hear a screaming child crying, I hear the sound just like you hear the sound, but it doesn't cause a negative response. And in a way, it sounds a little like home. So and it makes me it makes me a little bit nostalgic. And I'm, <laughs> I, I will turn and I will like smile at the person in a way that's almost creepy because <laughs> right. I'm like, oh, man, I wish my baby still cried. Right. You know? Right. And I've been with people on a, on a flight, like on a business trip where they're like, I this flight is being ruined. And for them, the flight is being ruined. For me, there is a sound and that's it. Yeah. Right. And so, and so in this case, though, now you and I are the dog lovers. Right. In that sense. Yeah. But I, I want to just, I want to just clarify. Well, first of all, I have to say in terms of penance that I used to be that guy when I was traveling a lot for work, I would totally glare at people. Like, what is, what is wrong with you? Do you, can you hear how loud your child is crying? Like, why? And, and like, it, I was indignant that somebody would get on a plane with someone as important as me. I was a, I was a senior web producer. <laughs> Very. I, I, a senior web producer should not have to put up with a crying baby. Right. And, uh, so I was on that that side. Yeah. But I didn't know. I mean, I don't want to say I didn't know any better. That sounds condescending. But, you know, why would I ever worry? I was, I was a a single man in his thirties working at a dot com. Why would I have any other reaction than to mostly just focus on how this affects me? But more than that, more than just seeing it, and again, this is where you get to the Buddha part, I guess, is like more than just seeing it as like drops of rain essentially in the world where stuff is just happening. It was, it was an attack on me. Mm-hmm. Like I really felt like, and, and you know, and, and you know what, if you've never, never felt this way in your life, listener, good for you. You're a better person than, than I am. But I, I think we can get into a situation where to, to paraphrase Mr. Show, you, you, you take it personal and make it personal, like figure out a way to make the situation that has absolutely nothing about having to do with you all about you. And so, and, and so then now, as I say, in any situation, I mean, I'm, I'm just short of going, do you want me to walk your baby? I'd love to walk the baby. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> because I miss that. I don't, you know, I don't miss the sleeplessness and everything, but I'm, in, and I'm also incredibly sympathetic to that person. So I could, that's still me. That was always me the whole time, right? That was Merlin Prime. 
1999 and in 2015. And I, I feel, I feel very differently about it now. My, my gut reaction is very different, but I can still completely understand both points of view. It's just, it is, it is weird though how it's, there's some things, something John Roderick has said in the past that I think about a lot. Like one reason, one thing that I think gets him into trouble and maybe gets me into trouble sometimes is that there, there may be some ideas that are better than others quote unquote. There may be some ideas that are more acceptable than others. There may be some ideas that are easier or better to implement than others. But the thing that binds all of those together is that they're ideas. They're, they're just a thing out there. They're, they're just a thing. And John likes to say he likes to try on ideas the way he would try on a sports coat. Like, I'm just going to try on this idea for a mm-hmm. while. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean anything is going to change. I am, I am, I am neither yelling at parents nor calling for genocide nor demanding that a law be passed. I am merely trying on an idea for a little while. And I think that idea is so antithetical to people because they, they, I think a lot of people like to feel like the path from idea to becoming them should be very short or that they should reject that idea. So you're either a dog lover or a dog hater. To just have like no opinion or not much opinion. I don't know. It's just, I'm sorry, I'm getting off topic now. But I think it's, I think it's very interesting how much our own interests and obsessions and affections and hates and all of those kinds of things, how much we can use that to do this really effed up paint by number version of the world where we figure out everything based on how it affects us right now. It's the older I get, the more baffling I find that. Why? Well, and that's something that always strikes me as a little bit surprising for me now compared to the young, like, the younger me sitting in the Thai restaurant or on the plane or whatever, having the meal ruined. You know, I remember there was one time that I, I we were um, we were sitting waiting for an airplane and the flight hadn't been canceled, but it had been delayed and we'd already had a g- couple gate changes. This was 10 years ago when I very rarely traveled and whenever travel and flying caused me a great deal of deep, deep anxiety beginning weeks ahead of, of the trip. Even when I was going with, you know, my wife or with family, not just like traveling by myself, but it was terrible, you know, and I, I remember being there and being just super stressed out, like, oh, my God, what's happening with the flight? What's going on? It's so stressful. It's so terrible. And there was this dude sitting there in a suit and he was maybe in his, you know, late 40s, early 50s. And he could see that I was super stressed out. And we were just sort of chatting about the delay. And he's like, yeah, I don't have to stress out about it. He's like, you'll get there. Eventually, you'll get back. And I'm like, right, but like, what if it's delayed? And and he's like, you know, you'll get back. They'll get you mm-hmm. back there. Like, it's it's going to happen. Like, yeah, but what if it's delayed and we have to like spend an extra night here? He's like, you'll still get back. <laughs> and right. it was such a simple way of looking at it. This guy was probably clocking hundreds of thousands of miles, uh, you know, up in the air type dude. He didn't have any stresses about it because he was used to it because he was, you know, he was doing this type of thing a lot. But, you know, for it was it was just this kind of awakening in a sense it didn't really solve anything for me but it's that familiarity of the whole thing we're familiar with our, our kids making noise or you know that we then become sympathetic and that person who also has a child who is also making noise isn't that like you said they're in that club 
for us, right? Whereas the people who are like loving dogs and watching a dog run around and pooping, like that's something that is in their regular day-to-day experience. So they then form an association with that of that is the thing that they like. My dog, mm-hmm. all, my, my dog also poops, you know, and my dog also barks and my dog also has bitten a child before. So like, <laughs> okay, tax easy, you know, but you know what I'm saying? Like those things yes, are within the range of I, okayness I, I, for them. I, I absolutely do. Um, and, um, and there's also, but the, the way you're describing and the funny way you describe it is I said something on uh, Roderick Online a couple of weeks ago where like, I think it was on there. Yeah. Where like a lot of, a lot of um, modern life and especially modern manhood is figuring out what subset of things you decide to be insufferable about. You know, basically just figure out what thing you're going to be like a, a pedantic psycho about and then figure out what you can let go of. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think part of what you're describing also is how much you one takes this is really off the rails i guess but how much in in each of those instances i i i don't i never want to get too far away from this basic problem of taking random acts in the world as uh, an attack on you that's one thing like people aren't actually talking to you a lot of the time in, yeah. unless you're nuts right like right not nuts sorry i don't <laughs> no, want to be no, ableist no, but but people aren't actually talking to you they're just talking about stuff uh, there's, there's that, but then there's also this thing that happens where we're doing this real, real time respinning of of the events of the world to line up with our views on things. And you know, I mean, again, we're, now we're kind of back to cognitive biases, but that whole idea of like figuring out why things went in a certain way because it needs to fit this certain frame—a frame that you're not even aware of. Like, you may be aware of the fact that you tend to vote more this way than that way. You may tend to realize you like this kind of music more than that kind of music. You may tend to know you prefer this league of baseball over that league of baseball, whatever. But you may not realize like how ingrained, how many micro decisions you've made, how much tiny redirections of attention, how much little bits of, of decision making and thought processing. This sounds nuts, but over the years, the millions of micro things you have done having to do with that thing you're a little interested in, you might be way more invested in that than you realize. And as anybody who's ever made a web form can tell you, once you get somebody to start filling out a web form, the hardest part is making someone start finishing a form. You, once you've done a little bit of the form, you're more likely to stick with it because it's sunk cost. You feel like, okay, I, I might as well do this. Right. If you're really emotionally invested in what you do, you're not out there like going around going like, huh, I wonder what I could learn today. You're going like, how do I avoid these psychos? And then how can I rehabilitate rehabilitate the people who don't see the world the way that I do? Because clearly the way that I see the world is not only the right way, but potentially the only way. Mm-hmm. Other ways are dangerous and mm-hmm. threatening. Mm-hmm. Where, like you said, somebody could start saying, like questioning your skills because you don't want to have a dog in the house. That person might have such a strong emotional con- connection to growing up with a dog that they can't imagine having it any other way. It might also be that they're terrified about the fact that they're not raising the kid in the way that they think they should. And they need some kind of a, a way to feel better about that, like we all do. So I don't know. I just think it's always so smart to like go like, does this really need to be all about me? Like if if Dan says he doesn't like dogs and they poop too much, does that really need to change your day? Is there a way that you could just go, well, that's a thing that's different than what I think and just kind of like walk on to the next thing. Right. And because there's no, you know, I think it's easier for someone to wrap their head around that if there are no particular negative consequences happening as a result of of that person's particular belief. For example, if I think dogs poop too much, uh, that doesn't really affect the other person's life in any way. I'm not exacting revenge on dogs in the world because they're pooping too much. I'm just simply saying maybe maybe I've chosen not to have one. 
but I feel like people still want this is a this is like really hard for people, you know, like it's really tough for them to look at it from that perspective. Oh, I, I, I totally agree. Um, and I say them, I'm talking about, you know, me us, too. I see, everybody. I see myself. Yeah. Doing this all the time. Like I used, I mean, a really good example that I think a lot of our listeners can associate with if they've been using Apple products for a long time is back when there was this thing called the PC wars between Mac and the PC and like, it, people who use Apple computers, and we've talked about this a lot, uh, were considered like weird and and wrong. And you know, we we I remember telling the story to you. I had a, a power book. It was I think like one of the Lombard or bronze keyboard time period with the little black kind of curvy uh, power book computer. And I'm that was my favorite computer. I bought it. I had it myself. And when I went to work at a very corporate stoogy world, I brought this thing in and like had the, the my manager said, well, I don't, you, you can't use that here. And I said, well, I know I've got the PC. I was just, you know, going to use this to do some other things that the PC can't do very well. And they said, no, I, I don't know if you can, but then they called the IT guy and the IT came down with one of his lackeys and they said, you know, you can't, you can't plug that into our network. You can't do that. I said, why? So I don't know what it's going to do on this network. I don't know what yeah, it's going to do. On this. Because policy. Right. I said, well, if I can show you what it can and can't do and, and you're okay with it, you know, can I do? No, you can't bring that on and don't put any discs from there into the, into the PC either. You know, they were very adamant and like, you can't bring that back here. And that was the world that we were in as as Apple people. Like we we were a cult of Mac people. Like we thought Apple was better and we were weird. And you know, that that became like a, a kind of a cult, right? A kind of a religion in a way. And I think there's still people gravitate toward that mentality instead of against it. There people are ready to jump on and say, Well, I'm I'm an Android user. I'm I'm never using Apple stuff. They're a walled garden or you're in the Apple world and you're saying, oh, I really like it here and use Android people are weird, you know, people who are, I don't want to talk to. Like people are still trying to draw those lines a lot. And I'm try I try not to draw those lines and I still do and I try to catch it. But there it seems like that there it's encouraged almost. It, it, it totally is. The only thing I would say is, yeah, there's definitely, I, I can see why people call the, the Mac stuff a cult, especially because it wasn't considered part of the mainstream. I would call it even more of a bunker mentality of more like we go into every situation knowing that there's going to be an adversary uh, reaction or adverse reaction, that this person is going to be, I mean, and I, forgive me if this sounds like a generalization, but this was just my experience, was that unless you were dealing with somebody who equally loved Macs, there was a pretty 80 plus percent chance that anybody you encountered in the quote unquote tech world would be derisive, uh, unkind, yeah. condescending, and openly hostile <laughs> to the fact that you used a Mac. Right. I know that sounds crazy today, but back, but that's how it was. And I, I, I'm same, same deal. I was told like, you know, I wouldn't be able to print. Imagine not being able to print on a network today because the footprint they said required for Windows NT to be able to handle Mac printing would be, would be too onerous yeah. and also it's dangerous don't plug that in you know but that's and that, that's how it was um i'm trying to figure i'm trying to draw something like a somewhat intelligent uh point out of this um but i i guess at this point where you're getting down to some really basic tribal instincts we're talking about the kind of things that help us to feel safe and help us to feel 
preserved. And one of those things, again, it's, it's a little bit like Freud and the narcissism of minor differences. Like in order for us to be different and to feel distinct, we have to find ways that other people are different from us. And other people that are otherwise 99.99999% identical are really bad people because they like this condiment rather than that one. Or even worse, oh my God, they don't even have a strong opinion about condiments. They must be monsters. Like we'll, we'll always try to find some way to distinguish ourselves from other people, even if it's completely trivial and potentially really damaging because it feels like a preservation instinct. It feels, I say tribal by, by design or herd, if you like, where, and, and again, I'm not trying to say cult in this case, but a herd and a tribe, why do we have herds and tribes? Because when we all get together and agree that this is the way it works, we end up being safer. If we agree that the wolf is the bad guy, and a bunch of sheep in this formation might do a little bit better, then that's the party line. That's how we're going to do it. But, you know, you're right. To, to get to a point to it today where I, something I grew fond of saying is, like, imagine, imagine if Apple had been as backward thinking as its fans in wondering who their enemy is or mm-hmm. who their competitor is. Otherwise, Apple would still be spending all of their resources competing with IBM today. Should they be doing that? No. They should be spending all their resources uh, fighting with Microsoft. Really? Is that, is that like a good use of, of their thing? They should be using all their resources fighting with Google. Really? I mean, it's like every year or two, we find out what they've been doing to go find a new competitor and a new audience. I'm not here to, to, to tout Apple, but it's funny how our own little scars and keloids and bad experiences cause us to dig in on a fight that we understand. And we're like the, the, the guy on Gilligan's Island, the Japanese soldier on the island who doesn't know that the war is over right, yet. Right, right, right. Oh God, that's a lot of material. Well, it's it's good. It's good. And I think this is something that we all should be exploring in our own minds because we we develop these prejudices that we don't even know that we have, you know, where we're like, we're, we're, we're operating as if these certain, do you trust your own thoughts? Right? Do you know, mm-hmm. do, are these things actually true? Can you really test them? Do they need to be there? Are they holding us back from thinking in a better way? Are they holding us back from experiencing something you know there's that uh great gil fronstall expression that i'm sure he's you know uh, paraphrasing from somewhere else but he would often say well if you can't meditate travel because you do get a kind of a similar result like people who travel you're you're forced to be in the moment yeah you're totally forced to be in the moment exactly and you're 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 forced to look around and experience things that are very frequently out of your control or that are incredibly different from you. And you can do that even just staying in the United States, but forget about that. Go to, go to a country that's very, very different from you. Go to a country where they eat things that you consider uh, to, to be pets. For example, we're talking about dogs, you know, like I've been to countries where they eat dogs as pet, as food. I've been to, you know, to, to countries where the, everybody seemed to be smoking cigarettes all the time. You know, things that in the United States laws were being passed where you couldn't smoke indoors and you couldn't smoke in this area. You can't smoke here and there is no smoking section. And you go to another country and like I, literally everywhere. everyone's smoking. Yeah. Inside, in, in planes and whatever. Right. Yeah. And this is something I've, I've, really feel like I've learned over time as I try harder to understand how companies and teams work when I'm such a novice in understanding this. But one of the things that feels significant to me and and feels true is how different they are based on culture, what Mm -hmm. I would just call culture. And what, what does that mean? Well, I don't quite know what it means, but I know when I see it. And sometimes I can barely see it because culture is the thing that you do not have to, you don't have to write down. If you're writing it down, it's probably old culture. 
If you understand it well enough to call it culture, it's probably already changing into something else. So when you go to the office, and I mean, there's all kinds of things where, I think I've talked about this on here, but going to meetings, for example, with clients where I find myself having to ask what feels like kind of a dumb question. Like I was working with some people a few weeks ago and really, really, really great team. And they kept using this word retro. I'd never heard that. They kept talking about what they covered at the next at the last retro or at the next retro. And it was probably like, it was like this almost a full day on site. But toward the end of the day, I finally was like, look, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of a dummy. What? I don't know that term. What is a retro? It sounds like it's some kind of a, a meeting, an unconventional kind of meeting. And they were like, oh, you know, that's a really good question. Yeah. Do you know what, do you know what that is? And I'm trying to think. I think but it's, a, it's an agile, it's an agile thing. I've not and heard of it. It's a very unusual kind of meeting that, is very participatory, uh, where everybody's involved, but, and it, but they were, I was very relieved that they didn't go, well, you dummy, A, you should have known that. And B, you should have asked a long time ago. I didn't want to interrupt too much, right? But I'm glad I asked because then I learned a lot. And then the most amazing thing happened. And this is the great thing about asking a dumb question. Um, whether it's, you know, your kid asking what religion is or asking why my, my kid wondering why you would think that two girls aren't allowed to like each other. Or right. one of those questions where you ask this really basic kind of question. Um, like, why is that person black? Oh man, that's a really good question. And now let me try to explain, as we've talked about, now let me try to explain this to you in a way that is not rife with my own assumptions, value, uh, values, and half-truths. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and in that case, them being in a room explaining what a retro is, first of all, they got to kind of bond as a group because everybody knew the answer to that question. But it also, they got to kind of illuminate what it is that they like about that process. Right, because it's part of their philosophy and how they work as a company. But they had been using the word retro all day long, I must say, without pausing for a moment to assume that the dumb guy from the outer sunset would have any freaking idea what that word means. What, what is that? That's culture. Culture is when there's mm -hmm. not even an assumption that we have to agree on what language to speak here. Like, mm -hmm. like how many places in America, it sounds dumb, but how many places in America do you walk in with several translators and say, well, as we begin all of our traditional meetings here, we should decide, will this be in Mandarin? Will this be held in Cantonese? Will this be held in French, Swahili, or English? Everybody just walks in and starts speaking English. Dumb example? Maybe, maybe not. Because there's so many things like that inside of a company. Everybody knows who's allowed to be two minutes late. Everybody knows you never park in that space. Everybody knows you never use that shipping service. Everybody knows when you do this with the coffee, you've got to go make another coffee. But that, that extends to so many things that are so impossibly difficult to take apart that it isn't until some dummy outsider comes in and asks a question that people talk about it. This is some of my value. is to come in and get you to talk about a thing you didn't even realize was a thing. And they obviously, in that case, they know what a retro is, but the, the ability to then talk about that and what that means to them and how they feel about it is not something that comes up every day. And it ends up being very illuminating. And um, I'm not sure what my point is here. It's just that I think it's really easy to kind of, you know, and, and this is, again, this is another funny thing for me is I always have a sheet of paper every time I go into a company. I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but I always try to, try to write down any new jargon and like douche speak that I've never heard before. And sometimes I'll fill a page with stuff I'll just be like blown away with some phrase. I can't believe I'd never heard that everybody in there uses almost every paragraph. And are you doing that to kind of learn what is the current thinking in the world or what is special I do it, about I, this I, one I, I do it because it educates me. I do it because it's amusing and I do it because it makes me laugh. So like, you know, I, I, I there's a phrase I've never been, I think I've told you this one, but there's a phrase I was never crazy about. Uh, it's just, you know, I, here's the thing. I'm, I'm kind of conservative about language in some ways, just in the sense that if we have a word that means pretty much exactly 
what we're trying to say. Like, why don't we use that? Like, I understand that enterprise has a, a meaning as a term of art. I think we way overuse enterprise when we really mean big company. Mm. That, I'm right. And I know, I know, term of art. Like, I'm a big dummy. I know, I know. But like, a lot of times, let's just go back to Strunk and White. Don't say utilize if you can just say use. use yeah. I mean, it's, it's so much clearer. Like, what, what are you adding besides two syllables? You're not, you're not really adding anything to that. So there's a phrase I never liked, um, personally, where you would say, and it's, an, you know, again, one of those douche speak terms that like starts out as kind of an analogy and then just becomes its own creature. But like, there was a day where nobody in the company had ever talked about moving the needle. <laughs> and then one day, somebody must have picked that up, maybe off of a water fountain or a toilet seat, and started <laughs> saying, you know, we really need this project to move the needle. And I imagine that was, <laughs> that got people pretty, pretty excited for a long time. But then at some point, you know what that turned into? The new adjective, needle moving. We really feel like this project is going to be needle moving. Yeah, I don't... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but now I said it once. Now imagine hearing that like every like three minutes all day. Mm. Is this going to be needle moving? Now, no, I'm the only, I'm the dummy, right? I'm the only person in that room going like, uh, does else think it's weird that you guys keep saying needle moving like that's actually a phrase? I guess it is now. It's an adjective now that you've used it enough. But I guess I guess impactful has finally had its day. <laughs> it always it always makes me think though. It always makes me think of uh, in um, in Thunderdome when Max wakes up and he's been saved from the Gulag. De- spoiler alert! From the Gulag Desert by the children who are from the crashed plane, and they've sort of developed their own language that they uh, that they they talk about, you know, and it's. The, the way that they speak, do a tell, and you know, uh, do, have you seen that movie recently? No, I haven't. Do it, do a tell sounds like what's the phrase people use for re- like for a- a- requesting something? They'll call it, they'll say, like, I'll make an ask, yeah, or something right. Like that. Is, right. Is, that the, is that what people say? Yeah, no, yeah, make an it's ask. Something, it's something like that, isn't it? It is, but you know, if you think about the way that the that that they speak, like, um, I'm trying to remember some of the. I should probably look it up, but like, but it's like a pigeon is a kind of pigeon English that, that yeah, very much. It's like a t- time counts and keep keeps counting, and that's our trek, and we got to travel it, and you know, like, uh, we, we, it, it's the end. But they're like, and we lights the city, you know, and they have this strange way of saying stuff that you immediately uh, understand, but you don't exactly. You know, you would not have necessarily put it that way yourself. And, and it's because these kids have been like alone in the desert and there have been no adults there to sort of teach them the right way to speak. And, uh, and, but it's almost like if, if you, if you go and there's this whole thing with companies now where it's not okay. And I'm not saying this is bad either. I think it's actually kind of cool, but you find you go to a company and the company is comprised mainly of people in their early mid twenties and they, these are people who typically don't yet have, you know, long-term spouses of their own. They probably don't have kids yet. They they haven't sort of created that home world circle. And they often live in big cities where it's very easy to meet lots of people and date lots of people. And so you have this co- company culture that extends to like 
we're a family here. Like, oh, right. We right, hang right. out with each other. We we do things to get this is this is not a company. Yeah, the, the, the companies basically try to make it. I mean, I, I, and I'm God bless them for for providing services to people. But like, I remember one of the last times, most recent times, I went to Google. I remember thinking it was a little bit like they wanted to have everybody there be the world's most advanced teenager. Yeah. Like we want you to be like a savant. We want you to be somebody who can just focus on Pythoning the hell out of this, and like we'll uh, we'll help. I made a joke in the inbox zero talk. I, I, I'm remembering now about. <laughs> I, just, I was making fun of my friend because they'll do your laundry or dry cleaning right. on site and pick it up, and he's like, "Yeah, but we got to pay for it." <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay still you know you, you've got a kitchen on every floor it's nothing bad but you're right I mean at that age at that oh, that awful awful age you're like getting this opportunity to like have this become I cut you off I'm sorry but you've got this surrogate family basically right, it and becomes you've that. got a surrogate mom in the teat of this company that's providing you all, all the stuff you need to not have to do anything else right yes that's exactly right and and it becomes this kind of like well we we're having the barbecue on saturday who well everyone here and they're gonna go and and where you wind up hanging out it's not even like smaller groups break out and say well we're you know we found that the three of us had this really you know we really like star trek so the three of us go and hang out it's like the whole company is over this person's house over the weekend for the barbecue. And then the whole, the whole company stays late on Fridays and we make, you know, we try uh, right. boutique whiskeys. And then the whole company goes to see this movie when it comes out. You're saying that's, that's kind of a cultural thing. That is becoming more and more normal. And it is a cultural thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with it either, but I'm just, I've noticed that that's like having a cool company used to mean having a really cool cafeteria. Now having a cool company involves like this, having a philosophy that's not a mission statement, which is what we kind of grew up with the mission statement. Now Mm -hmm. it's having a company culture that we call our own. And it might involve using the phrase moving the needle. It might involve bowling with everyone on the team twice a week or whatever. Like it's, I remember softball, man. Softball was such an albatross. Oh my God. Yes. Like you couldn't, like, you know, as much as I could be the hip indie rock guy at my office who made funny parodies and PageMaker and did silly stuff and was the overcaffeinated guy, um, that was okay because that was my role on the Scooby Doo team. But like, but like when it comes to stuff like those events, you seem like a real chode to not go to softball night. Like mm-hmm. you, you're really, like, it, just for the reason you're describing, it's a little bit like, not a frat, but like one of those, uh, well, you, you kind of, you, you could not go to this, but believe me, you want to go to this. Right. Like if you, you are really going to miss out on being part of like every story that's told here. If you don't go to the Christmas party, if you don't go to the, you know, and, and of course, you know, the Christmas party's at the boss's house because that's a big deal and he wants to be seen in his luxury and entertaining and that's like a whole big thing or on the boat or whatever. And you, you gotta go. That's, you know, again, there's nobody there who's going to say you are more likely to be laid off in two years if you don't go to this party. No sane person would ever say that. Right. But all other things being equal, there's going to be the person who came to all the events and the person who didn't. Right. And there's, there's probably numerous other things too, but I think that really does add up. Oh, I remember working for a small company and I was, uh, you know, I was working from home and the other people on my team also worked from their own home. And so we were getting, going to, I think it was, uh, a t- yeah, I think it was an Edward Tufty thing. The first one that I went to, and that was like a two day Edward Tufty talk. And it was in Arizona and I lived in Florida and they said, you know, the talk is on Tuesday and Wednesday. And I said, okay, so should I get in, you know, 
Monday evening then. And they said, because I guess they had said you could get in before you can, you, you could come in on Sunday or you could come in on Saturday. And I said, well, should I be there on Saturday or Sunday or, or Monday? And the way they said it was like, well, you can get in on Monday night if you want, but you'll miss all of the team building stuff that happens, you know, in the days before that. I'm like, okay, so should I get in then on Sunday or? Oh, and so you, you had to whack at the pinata though. It's like, totally. well, Dan, it's up to you. It's, right. Depends on what you, you know, what you want to do. Works, whatever whatever works for you, man. The rest of the team will be there Saturday. So you can do what you uh, want to do. Oh, right there. And that like, is such a microaggression. <laughs> it was so weird. And like most of the other people lived either in Texas or Arizona. So for them, it was like like an hour long flight. For me, it was coming from, you know, all the way in central Florida. It was way longer. There was way more travel time so that like they could get in on Saturday night and be there all day Sunday. Like, no big deal. I'll catch a 7 p.m. flight. Have the day with the fam. For me, it was like, well, I have this odyssey to get across the country, you know, and and again, this was not a time when I was very comfortable traveling and, and right. I had all of these issues surrounding it. So it was like, wow, what am I supposed to do? Well, everyone else will be there. And it was the same thing like anytime there was travel associated with this. And I was with other people who didn't mind traveling and who did it a lot. And I just remember feeling, you know, back to the whole tribe thing of like, great, here's another way that it's like harder for me to be a part of this thing. And when you, you know, I... Looking at the way that these cultures in many of these companies are, we're, we're all 25. We all go to the same place. We all drink the same, you know, whiskey and we all this whole group of 15 people are everywhere all the time. We're family together. You as a potential 35 year old with a dog and a kid and a spouse are not going to find it as easily to assimilate into that group of other, you know, of 20 something. Especially for women. I mean, gosh, forget for for talking about, talking about this and like even stuff like, I mean, like, so this is, this is again, one of my many eye openers of the last few years. One of my favorite things when everybody comes to town, um, because I, I love Apple. I love my Apple friends and I love to drink. And so, uh, what's a place called the Tempest? Like there's this, there's this bar that everybody goes to. And, uh, I don't know if it's still around. I think it might have closed. I'm not sure. But anyway, or different ownership. But anyway, it was a place that was owner operated so people could smoke. It was full of smoke and full of Mac nerds. Now, <laughs> I'm a guy and I'm 48. My feeling about that group is it's all like, they're my friends. They're cool guys. Like, but like if you were like a single woman who had to like walk, to there from from your you know, four or five blocks from your hotel and then walk into this smoky place full of people who are drinking. Like, think about how the two of us see that so differently. I get that now. I didn't used to get that the way I get it now. But I, it's like in order to like be, it's I mean, so like me. Okay, so here's here's the here's the log in my eye is like I would I can very much see how like trying to exclude women from skiing trips and golfing is overtly sexist. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't stop to think about like where we all decided to hang out. Like, would it be weird to ask, ask, you know, and maybe it's not, maybe not, but I, I guess I'm trying to say like, I get now how that's weird. What is, what is the only interesting part of that? How much I could get the thing about golfing, but not get the thing about going to a bar. And that's, that's culture. Right. That, that's me going like, wow, my culture was, is, could probably use an upgrade. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe we shouldn't do every night at the Tempest so that everybody <laughs> can play ball. <laughs> right. Hey, Dan, tell me about something you like. I would love to do that. Let me tell you about a company called Wealthfront, 
Wealthfront is the automated investment service that makes it easy to invest your money the right way. This, you know, we've been talking about 20-somethings. It's a really good time to start investing, but it seems like a really daunting process. I remember uh, when I was in my 20s, the idea of like going in and sitting down with some old timer in a suit and a tie and like spending an hour talking about finances sounded really pretty terrible to me. Uh, that's why I wish we had had something like Wealthfront around uh, back in the day. This is the kind of thing like you can just set it and forget it. You go there and you, you it's at wealthfront.com slash five by five. You set up an account. You ask a few questions that helps them determine like what they call risk tolerance, which is essentially like how aggressively do you want to invest your money? Do you want to invest it more aggressively or less? Are you conservative or what? It, that's usually determined like based on how old you are. If you're younger, you probably are more aggressive because you have that time to make up any loss you might experience. But the way the Wealthfront works is you don't really have to worry about that. They're automatically rebalancing your portfolio. They reinvest your dividends. They do all of this commission-free so that uh, it's very tax-efficient. They maximize your after-tax returns. All of this stuff, it's built in. And it's got really good software behind the scenes to, to help out with this kind of thing. You pay only 0.25% per year and every trade is commission free. That's like a quarter the cost of a traditional investment advisor. And uh, these guys are really great and the software is really great and the site is really cool. And they manage over $2 billion in client assets. So they're legit. Five by five listeners will get their first $10,000 managed for free when they visit Wealthfront, wealthfront.com slash five by five and because america is such a litigious place i'm required to read this long disclaimer uh so it'll be like one of those car ads and here it is wealthfront inc is an sec registered investment advisor brokerage services are offered through wealthfront brokerage corporation member finra and sipc this is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities investing in securities involve risks and there is a possibility of losing money past performance is no guarantee of future results please visit wealthfront.com to read the full disclosure because that's not the full disclosure there's more so go and read the full one. But Wealthfront is a cool place. Go check them out. Wealthfront.com. Buck, buck. I have to read that every time. I, I saw on your uh, thing that uh, you're going to make it a soundboard. Yeah, thing. I'm just going to make it a soundboard. I'm going to speed it up. Just like, you're, like, you're, like a, you're like the world's worst hip-hop artist. Like, yes. <laughs> like one, You just have one very, very, very long sample. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> hip, hip. Uh, how's it going, Dan? Pretty good. Mm, How you enjoying doing, my seltzer. Enjoying my seltzer. Way out. Everybody loves marijuana. <laughs> oh, lots of marijuana. 420. Mm. Oh, God. I have to tell you, Dan, I'm so glad those folks finally got a holiday. It's finally, official now. They holiday. finally have a reason to smoke way too much weed every single day. The last time and, that I was there in San Francisco, yeah. we met in the, uh, what is that area? The Union? Oh, the uh, the Taint? No. <laughs> we were in the... Um, <laughs> The Union is it Union Park or Union Square? One's in New York. <laughs> oh, 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 right, right, right. Yeah, Union Square. Yeah, Union that, Square. it's also it's also a Union. It's the Union Square at Avenue. Yeah. So we were there, and I I noticed while I was there because I, I was uh, sort of wandering around before we met. There was a gentleman in the sort of shady wooded part. Every time you use the word gentleman, I know something's coming. He was uh, he was smoking the marijuana there, mm. and he was quite. I wouldn't say he was brazen, but there was nothing covert about him smoking. He wasn't hiding it. He wasn't embarrassed. He was just very openly enjoying. He was having a nice afternoon on his own. Yeah. And I could smell 
the smell of the marijuana immediately knowing what it was it what he so so it wasn't like he was acting like he was just enjoying a regular tobacco cigarette oh no no and i remember i asked you i said is because you came over and i said i think i noticed a gentleman over there enjoying himself with the with a marijuana cigarette and you said yeah that's that's okay here and i said but it's illegal right and you said well it's not punishable or something like that. It's well, I mean, it's in a weird, it's in a weird zone. It's like a limbo. Um, well, I remember one of the first things that really blew my mind this is what now almost 16 years ago was, um, when I would still smoke cigarettes sometimes when I first moved here, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, but I wasn't like a super regular smoker, but, right. but it was very clear that there were so many places in San Francisco where it was tacitly okay to smoke pot and so not okay to smoke a cigarette. Um, I mean, you could be in a party at somebody's house and you might want to ask just to be polite, <laughs> but there are people who would, who would spark a doobie. Uh, would, you, should, you would never light a cigarette in somebody's house right, in San Francisco. Right, you Unless did. you knew, unless the place was like a big <laughs> ashtray. Nobody would do that. In restaurants, like you go to like, you know, there's places in the lower hate that are really fun, you know, hangout kind of bars and uh, they... Uh, you could maybe smoke a smoke a doobie in there. No, no way would you have a cigarette. Yeah, it's no, it's it's fine. I, my feelings on it have really evolved over the years. I'm, you know, I, I I am with the people, the many many people who say it's re, it's still ridiculous to me how many people, especially black guys, are in jail for you know drug dealing for selling pot or what or having pot. I mean that's that's a that's. That's a that's a shame. I mean, that's a literally it is shameful how many Americans are in jail because of stupid drug things, especially with pot. But. Right, right. Because you you know in those situations in the the states that have legalized it, they legalize it for usually it's a small amount, like what a a single human could consume in a I'm short period of time. I'm talking about people from the war on drugs era, but they yeah, got three I mean, strikes. they're still you know? there, right? They're still oh, there. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. For yeah, I mean the thing is that's the way three strikes works. Is you know maybe the, maybe the first one is for kidnapping, <laughs> yeah. the second one is for assault, the third one could be uh, I think a felony. I mean if you steal something over like a hundred dollars, like if you if you break something in a waiting room, that could be a felony. If you if you jump line at the airport, that's a felony. Like you know it's pretty easy to escalate that. Anyway, we're way off topic. Um, I have a pivot I think here that's actually weirdly related. That I'm just thinking about. I'm thinking about that company that I was talking about that okay. I was visiting with, and um, I don't know. I just, in some ways, it, it's it's a it's a wonderful and terrible feeling when I feel like I've spent the day and I've learned more than I've taught. Like where I walk away going, first of all, as you guys obviously know, you have a great company and you seem impossibly healthy in how you deal with each other. And I don't really have much to add. And you, I had to have a glossary to have words explained to me, so I'll just get my hat and go. But in that group, um, I don't know. One one easy way for me to score points in a talk or, or inside of most companies is, is to say, you know, if you really want to look at places where you have opportunities for growth and change, look at management. Like, don't look at the worker bees. Like, mm. the worker bees are just doing what they think will help them survive. Assume that they are smarter than you currently assume that they are. Look at your management. And in particular, this is always kind of the easy you know, uh, home run over the third base fence. You know, if, if you really want to see a change in your company, you have to have a change in how you hire people. Because if you don't do that, how could you possibly be surprised that the culture of your company is not changing? You need different people in there. Like when people age out, 
bring in a different kind of person. Most people left to their own devices will hire people that are, I think, A, kind of like them, but B, manageable. Like you, uh, there's there's not that many managers going to want to bring in somebody that they perceive is not going to be a good fit for the team, or is going to you know revolutionize things in a way that'll make them hard to manage. Do you know what I mean? I do. So I don't know. One of the things that I thought was really great about this group, and I, I think I had the most impossibly tiny role in them actually really realizing this, was that there was this kind of a sampling of people from different related groups, um, inside this this team this, you know, kind of business unit. So, you know, there were some product people, there were some straight up, like close to the metal people. Um, there were some, and then several like UX, UI and design people. And um, the thing that was true amongst all these people who don't work together every single day is like, it, it took two or three hours to really come out, but they, they, they kept talking about how much time they spent in the hiring process. And I guess this is a bigger deal than I realized in a lot of tech companies. How much, like a big part, you've got your practitioner of development. Maybe you're trying to become a manager type. But really, like there are certain people who are really wonderfully obsessed with the hiring process and not just going in and asking some kind of funny Google question about, you know, how many rubber balls you can fit in a pyramid or whatever, but actually really, really going in and talking about the job with these people and then talking with the other people after, like the other, their their existing teammates after to where it becomes like a second job that they happily take on where they kind of, I mean, it was, it was baffling to me in some ways because I'd never been around people that were this um, passionate about, what kind of people came on the team? And it was not gatekeeping by any stretch, right. but it was very much this like, it was, it was, it was almost like uh, pre-cana or something. It was like this way of like saying like, we, we need to make sure that this is going to be a good fit. And that, you know, what, what, what can we learn from you when you come here? Like what will change in a way that we'd all be really interested in if you came here rather than going like, did you get the pyramid problem? Right. And do we like your shoes? Mm-hmm. It's more <laughs> like, you know what, go ahead and just blow us away with a way that like you, Give us blue sky this for us. Like when you come in here, like what are the kinds of things that you want to do? How do you feel about the hiring process? And it really, it felt like something from like another dimension to watch this group talk about this. And I mentioned it because first of all, I think the hiring process is really important. And if you want to see change, you have to, you have to start having some kind of a plan, not just for restructuring or not just for scooting people around and giving them different titles and, you know, different offices, but to really think fundamentally about like, you know, how do we, how do we start penciling in the kind of company we'd like this to be one line at a time, like one person at a time? Because if we keep just on autopilot with the way that we hire, if we keep trying to add in, if we keep doubling our team and breaking the culture to bits, you know, like everybody in a smart company gets that. You get, you can't just introduce N people at a time, you know? And I don't know. And this company, they do stuff like when, when the new person comes in, they don't put like their, their worst guy on it. They might put, they might pair that, but they do pair programming. But they might put you with the newest person and the most most seasoned person, right. and then everybody ends up learning something. But all of they like break all the rules that I think of as being standard of like you know kind of walking you through this queue, firing the ones who didn't work out, and that kind of stuff. But everybody ends up finding a place there that's some combination of you know practitioner in this one field, but also yeah, you learn a certain amount of management. But then also you you can be as involved as you want to be in helping determine the health of the team by working on the way that you hire and the way that they hire is so unconventional. So I don't, I don't have a way to like teach that. I don't even, I barely understand it myself, but when you watch it, it's kind of like magic because you see that there's a certain kind of almost love and trust and 
coupled with responsibility all at the same time. And it, it just seems so rare as opposed to like the climate of fear that so many of us have worked in, where it's really all about maintaining this amorphous status quo, mm. being averse to risk, and trying to minimize the chance that anything could happen. These guys are actually being much more uh, at, not agile, that's the wrong word, um, flexible, because mm-hmm. they're saying, we know this is going to change. We know this team is going to grow. And so how do we make sure that, that we all grow with it to the extent, and if, if it's not going to work out, then we can go work in these other places. I don't know. That was really long. But, I just think the hiring part gets lost sometimes because it feels like it's not part of the business sometimes. I mean, yeah, I know you got to staff up and get big and all that kind of stuff. We got to get our B round and blah, blah. But, you know, if you really want something needle moving, look at the way you do hiring and the extent to which the great people in the company, all the great people are encouraged <laughs> to be involved in that process. Yeah. 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 Got any thoughts? Well, that's heavy duty, man. Were you listening? Yes, of course were, I was were listening. Were you listening to the dude's story, Donnie? Yes, I was listening, but you know, here's the thing. When you talk about hiring, there's two different modes. There's this hiring in the way that you're describing where people are very careful and the kind of caring and the responsibility that you're talking about is present. And they're like, we need to hire people and we need to trust them and we need to bring them in. And I remember there was one company that I worked for where it was a very small company. And I was like, we just need to hire a couple people and really help out as to, and he said, you know, my boss who was pretty much just the one guy in the company, he's like, every single person. Now his, his reason for hiring or being careful about hiring was almost that he didn't want to make a personal mistake that he would feel guilty about because he used to say, so there was the caring that you're talking (laughs) about, right? There was the, there was the caring that you're talking about. There was the concern that you're talking about. I just kind of want to try to remember this the right way. He used to say that everybody that we hire is another mouth to feed but that if they have a family that we have to feed, we're feeding a whole family as well. Like that was the way that he looked at it. God, that responsibility. Right. So that if, you know, if we hired a new sysadmin and that sysadmin had, you know, a, a family to support, that that person was the sole breadwinner for that, their family, male or female, it didn't matter, right? Like it wasn't like, well, it's, a, it's a dude, it's some, you know, whatever. It was like yeah. just a person. That if they have a spouse and a child or two children or a dog, that that we are now providing for that person. So every single hiring decision was this incredible, like, guilt-filled stress fest because <laughs> if that person wasn't perfect and they're, and we had a fluctuation in business and we'd have to cut someone, that person would be the first person to be cut. Like it was, it was this huge like weight on his shoulders every time. So that was, so we wound up never hiring anybody because we didn't want to make any mistake because if there was a mistake, Oh, you know what I mean? I get it. I get it. Yeah. It's as opposed uh, to the other mode of hiring, which is like, we have a burn rate and we need to hire this many people because we need to get these things accomplished. And you know what? If in six months, we didn't make it or we ran out of money or we didn't get our second. And screw it. Who cares? They'll go find other jobs. Like those are the two hmm. extremes, but I've seen them more than I've seen the kind of that you're describing. Oh, absolutely. I, I want to tell you about something I like, but it, it reminds me of, and I, I have some more after this that we can talk about. Um, it reminds me of something when I was begging my way into 
college. I just, I was, I was one of those like 5% kind of like, what the heck? We'll just let this person give it a try. There's very little chance that they will be able to finish even a semester here. I was one of those guys. And I felt like just incredibly uh, grateful that they gave me a shot. And I'm sure this must be a cliche that every admissions director uses at one point or another. First time I heard it was in 1986 from Rap Thornton. The, the admissions director at New College. And he's just said the most brilliant thing. He said, it's really simple, Merlin. We don't want a well-rounded student. We want a well-rounded class. And my head exploded when I heard that. Because in 1980, I graduated um, high school in 85. It really had been drilled into my head. I feel like I was supposed to be the ultimate like utility infielder. Like once you get too good at one kind of thing, move to another thing. Like you needed to have some sports, you needed to have some academics, you need to have some, I guess the community service thing is huge today, but like you couldn't just get A's in science or in my case in English, like you should be getting at least B's in everything. So there was, I always felt like there was a kind of like a, you know, in addition to just the pressure you feel to fit in when you're a teenager, I really felt like there was a certain kind of resource leveling I was supposed to be applying so that I was just slightly above average at almost everything. But like, don't be so great at something that you're a total weirdo. And like New College, <laughs> like some of these companies, look for those weirdos. I told you and, I almost went to New College. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty much Florida's backup school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? They can have that. That's a freebie. That's, just they can run with, with it, yeah. I got to tell you about something I like. We got more to talk about here because I think we're on to something interesting. And we, only, we probably have enough tape to do another hour and a half. Yeah. Um, so you ready for this? You ready for this? Uh, we got week two with a fantastic new sponsor, Slack. Boom. You know about the Slack? I don't know as much as you know. So tell me, you know, I don't, I, I kept hearing about it till I was like, enough with this. But like, like I think I mentioned, it was one of those funny things. Well, first I should just, should just say, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to do this like your disclaimer. I'm going to read this so carefully that no one will mistake what I am saying. Okay. Slack, the messaging app for teams. With a Z? Hmm. Slack, the messaging app for teens. Now see, I still sound like I have a speech impediment. It sounds like, does it sound like I'm saying teens? teens? Everybody tells like, me it sounds like teens. Teenagers? Mailkimp. <laughs> Slack, the messaging app for teams. Yeah, for I teens. I think I might have a disability, Dan. No, it sounds fine. Yeah, and so what they do is... Um, I guess I feel like I've been hearing about this for a while and I was like, yeah, whatever. It's another one of those like flash in the pan things that everybody's going to use. But man, it's revolutionizing like all kinds of stuff for so many people I know. So many of my pals that do podcasts, especially when they have like a podcast network, they will go start, I guess it's called a Slack room and like they are just in there all the time. It's not only has it replaced, well, I'm going to say it, like not, ha- not only has it mostly replaced email for their interactions. There's lots of asterisks on that because you're never going to fix email. Sorry. But... Uh, it's fun. It's really fun. And I was just reading this article, I think it was on Slate, but I mean about the ways that people are, this is like reviving culture inside of companies mm-hmm. where in your, in these dumb open environments, there's a way to actually like be interacting with people in a way that's really enjoyable all day long. But it is also great for the actual work because here's the thing. When you are using, I'm reading up actual letters from actual listeners. I want to make sure I get this right. Is that there's all kinds of integrations built into Slack. You go, you go sign up for Slack today. You go to slack.com slash backdoor and sign up. It's free. And here's the thing. You can use Slack with as many people for as long as you want for free, gratis. And now they can, there's a, there's a way that you can uh, get more of their services and custom super special integrations by paying a little more. But you can go and just start using this today. Just go give it a try. But um, the neat thing about it is it's more than just 
like kind of like email, kind of like I am, kind of like IRC, because it also incorporates but tons of services that you're already using, like Google Drive, Google Hangouts. It'll work with Dropbox and GitHub, of course, and Stripe. So many of these things. So that's cool, right? So when something happens, if the site goes down, you get you can get an, get an alert. If somebody puts up a new funny funny GIF, you get an alert. And et cetera, et cetera. But now here's the really cool thing. All that stuff that gets sucked into Slack, all your conversations, it's also getting indexed and it's all searchable from a single field. So you don't have to be fumbling around searching for things for the rest of your life. It's a really fantastic service. And I would really like you to go to slack.com slash back to work and, uh, and sign up there. Now, if you use that uh, address and you sign up, you're going to get $100 in credit in the event that you uh, would like to, up to upgrade to some of their other services. Um, it's being used by, you ready for this, Dan? I'm ready. Hang on to your trousers. Used by 500,000 people and 60,000 teams. New York Times, eBay, Adobe. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, and it's, it's a heck of an app. I, I've started playing with it. The problem is I don't have any friends, so I don't have anyone to talk to, so I've done all these integrations that allow me to talk to myself. And there's a, there's a bot that'll talk to you too. There's a little bot in there that'll explain what to do. And it's amazing. Anyway, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's like a, a three, a three pound, three pound registered bot. <laughs> three pound registered. Was it three, three pound <laughs> registered therapy dog? Norbert, Norbert, you can have a Norbert bot. But here, I, I want to thank them though for sponsoring us um, because, you know, I think one, they sponsored this because they like the show and that made me really happy. Very happy. So, so, so do us a favor, do yourself a favor. Uh, please go to slack.com slash back to work and sign up and, uh, and start sharing stuff with your friends. Uh, and uh, our thanks to Slack for supporting 5 by 5 and back to work. Boom. Just like the old days. You got your paper, you got everything. <sighs> Business papers. Got some, uh, got some seltzers here. Um, another part about hiring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, it, did, did, did I, I kind of cut you off, didn't I? No, not at all. Here's, here's what this reminds me of. You know, I, I still, I have to tell you, um, I try not to talk too much about John Syracuse because, you know, I'm kind of, kind of a fanboy. He hung up his hat. Hung it up. I know. I know. I know. It's amazing. It's like, can you believe he did all that with RSI? Isn't that crazy? Well, I mean, yeah, he did. I, I he know that. To... I know that. But like, I don't always think about that. Making like a thirty thousand word book, yeah. like with RSI. That's well, he, so he used those really good dragon dictation stuff, and but still, like, right, right, right. Like, he, it's you have to understand. This is not a guy who just sits down and like you know, like types. Like, hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just typing here. I'm just working on my article. No, like this is a guy who was already dealing with. A physical limitation that made it so he couldn't do the basic and thing. He's doing that, pearls, so he had to type all kinds of crazy characters. I know. With the slashes and whatnot. Crazy. You can't get to the metal unless you use the slashes. It's inescapable. Slackbot. Hold for laugh. <laughs> he um he's, he, he's he's a juggernaut. And you know, it's um what was my point about John Syracuse? That you know, so at least with the with the OS ten reviews, I mean, it's been a funny thing. Like listen back to Hypercritical, listening to ATP. You know, it's funny. Like I, I, you know, I kid about John, but actually, he really is like one of my my favorite people out there. Period. I have so much respect and affection for the guy. Don't tell him I said that. But um, it's 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 so funny when you follow your friends on a podcast or somebody you know, even if it's not a friend, like somebody you admire or you just like, and you can like kind of like you feel their pain and like you know. I, I mean, I read, I buy, I would buy John's OS 10 reviews. I, but I mean, like it didn't, I loved it because they were well-written, but it wasn't important to me to my job. It was mostly because I love how John Syracuse would write. But like, you know, <laughs> in the run-up to those every year, I would just feel so much like anxiety, mm-hmm. like 
I would be so scared on John's behalf that they would announce that basically that they would they would just drop it one day, <laughs> like a new and interface. He, and then he, like so, a it gets dropped one day. B he's not done with the writing, and C they've changed just enough stuff that he has to go redo hundreds of screenshots, the bane of his existence. Yeah, nobody cares, but John Syracuse. I mean, some people care, but nobody really cares. Like John Syracuse cares, and like I for I I would just say thank you, John, for everything that you've given us through those views over the years, and congratulations on getting to do other things with your summer. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny because all of this, this for it's 10 years, right? 10 years of doing this that he got to, he, he got to a point and he said this in the, in the uh, write up that he had on it where he said, you know, he said, I have to kind of look at my own identity and my sense of self. Like he, he is directly connected and this, this buttresses very well into our, our earlier discussion of like, tribes and and self-identification with things oh, totally totally because like if he's not the guy who writes the os 10 reviews who is he he is he the podcaster guy is he another because when i interviewed him and i've been going back through these old pipeline interviews including yours and uh, i I'm, can't wait till those come back oh man i'm excited i love those interviews thank you thank you so much for that really, was your that was your you. farm team that for, was uh, it. five by five yep that's absolutely true. And so I've been going back through these at uh, the originals and kind of like re, you know, mixing them down and other things. And, and, you know, I was listening to the one that I did with you, which was so fun. And I was listening to this one with him that he was very, I mean, he was willing to do it, but he was like, I don't know what I have to say for an hour. You know, like he was right. very, and now he's like, like podcasting every week and has been podcasting every week. And he would do these marathon, uh, episodes of hypercritical and he did you know the the goodfellas uh at, at the movies the first one and it went on and on and on and on but it was awesome and like he's the guy who is known to have a lot to say about a lot of things but i remember before we did this thing he's like i don't know to talk about myself but he it was so much fun listening to that again after these years of it and you know, when i met him you know, he he didn't have very many Twitter followers. No one really knew who he was, except it was a very inside baseball personality. Yeah, he was the guy who like talked about OS ten, and that was what he did. And now no, that's back when I still thought he had a Z in his name. <laughs> that's no Z. That's right. <laughs> and he, but he was such a fun. It was such a fun talk and listening to this guy who has so much to say and thought he had nothing to say. You know, uh, or at least it seemed like that. And. For him to now come back and say, I am had to question who I am. Who am I? Am, if right. I'm not the guy that does these reviews, who am I now? And I think that's a valuable thing we can all kind of do. And like, what if that's a good point? What if we didn't have the stuff that we own or the job that we have or the car that we drive? Who would we be? Mm hmm. Well, the reason I started talking about John is that uh, I still keep. I mean, one at a time over the years, I have slowly and ruefully removed many retired shows that uh, I have listened to multiple times. Right. And, and and just in all candor, I love everybody's shows, all the great shows. But there's the, the one show that I still find myself listening to at least once a week is Hypercritical, uh, which you did with John Zaracusa for, I think, 100 episodes. Yep. So here's one. Um, the reason I mentioned this here, uh, you will, may remember uh, God, what what episode of the show was not epic. Uh, number twelve. Nothing is so perfect. Mm -hmm. 
uh, April 1st, 2011. John Syracuse and Dan Benjamin turn a critical eye towards last week's episode on criticism and then try to pick the single best challenge facing three uh, different wildly successful companies, Google, Facebook, and yes, Pixar. I remember this one clearly and I have re-listened to it mostly recently. It's a really good episode because it's so classically John in the sense that he can love something very intensely but that does not mean he feels like he needs to protect it. He feels like he needs to find he's what you would exactly want in an engineer, yes. which he's, he's much less, I'm sure he would put this differently naturally, but he's much <laughs> less concerned with like canonizing or making something holy and more interested in figuring out just, there's always still another thing we could squeeze out to make this thing better. One, there's another bug we could get out of this. There's another challenge and the better and more seemingly flawless a place is executing, the more likely he is to say, okay, well now how can you be more ambitious and still, produce something of high quality, mm-hmm. which is a very, very high bar, which brings me to Pixar. And do you, do you remember what his criticism uh, of this, you know, I think... I believe it was it's that up there, there were... It's up there in the John Syracuse pantheon of things that he has both affection and respect for, right? Right. I think he felt that there were, they hadn't been pushing the boundaries enough and, 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 and they also didn't have enough female protagonists. Yeah, the female protagonist thing, for sure. Um, as against something like Studio Ghibli, where there's so many, you know, great um, female uh, protagonists. Mostly but, female, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, there's another one. There's another one coming out in, um, next month that is rumored to possibly be in the last Studio Ghibli film. We shall see. Because Miyazaki hasn't retired yet this week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to do that every week or two. Yeah, every anyway, but I, with memory serves, what he said about Pixar that I think is germane to what, what our discussion of hiring, I think, is, and forgive me if I massacre this, um, fans of John, but I think what he said was that it, it was that they were not taking enough risk in making something that could be a flop by trying to make something that could be really great. Mm. Something along those lines of saying like, you know, well, they had gotten, I think, kind of conservative. And it's, and, 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 you know, in one episode, I don't think it was this one, but in one episode, in, in uh, FU, somebody had said, well, what about Cars 2? That was kind of a flop. And he's saying, well, no, but that's not a flop because it was trying something super ambitious. It's, it was f- kind of a flop critically because it wasn't up to P- Pixar's usual, our usual expectations of a Pixar joint. Right. So anyway, however I, I massacre that, all I'm trying to say is to, to me, this relates to the hiring thing in some ways, because this goes, I think, straight. You kind of stole my thunder on this, what I was going to say. But when you talk about the way people hire, um, what do we all know about hiring? It's kind of a pain. It's really, really costly. And having errors that mean a hired person is not going to be on for a couple years accumulate quickly and make you look really bad. But like re- the retention of people, that, first of all, like you have to feel like the people you brought in are good enough to not not fire or reassign or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But you also don't want them to quit. You've got to retain them. It's a real crazy ballet. And so I think, I wonder if one thing in hiring is, I wonder if there is, and I'm just kind of paraphrasing you here, but I wonder <laughs> if there is kind of an impulse to want a well-rounded uh, student rather than a well-run class in this instance, where, you know, if you get somebody who's probably not going to get fired, you as the hiring party are much more safe. You have less skin in the game. If that, it's much less likely that person is going to screw up than some, somebody who seems a little more unconventional and does not 
fit in with a certain traditional uh, approach of the company. Not that they're against the culture of the company, but that the culture starts to become this really crusty, um, you know, almost brittle thing where you're afraid, please don't touch the culture. You know, like that, we have to make sure everybody here will handle the culture gently instead of bringing in somebody who might really, who could potentially really revolutionize things. Or maybe four of those five hires totally flame out, but you get one superstar because you made sure to bring in people who were wildly different kinds of very different, interesting characters. Right, right. But that impulse to protect your, you know, to check your six, make sure that you're not going to look bad for bringing in somebody who flames out. I mean, doesn't it seem like that could be a completely natural reaction is to bring, like hire very conservatively? Well, you would almost feel like that would we would be pressured into doing that kind of hiring. But don't you're, take but you're not don't saying take that, unnecessary risks. And because sometimes, though, like there's there there is this funny story that I heard that probably was just someone repeating a story they'd heard somewhere else. But there was a, a guy that I knew who said, you know, I I knew this guy. So now we're talking about three times removed who said that, uh, you know, we were going to hire this one person and I called his previous boss and his previous boss said, oh, he's the worst person ever. Don't hire him at all. He's a, I hate him. I hope he, I hope he never finds another, you know, that kind of thing. And he said, well, of course I had to hire him because uh, anybody who could create such strong opinions is the kind of person we want uh, in our company. Such a weird thing. But when you think about it, wouldn't that conservative hiring cause you to hire people who were, like you're saying, not risks at all? Hire someone who's like, seems to just, they're not going to rock the boat too much. Is that what you were saying? Yeah, yeah. And I, I worry already as I hear those words that I'm, I'm making a, a straw man out of nothing in particular. But uh, nothing in particular. But, um, <laughs> but, but I guess I, I'm putting that up against... <laughs> La, la, la. I think I feel it. like that's just uh, now just part of the conversation. You'll break into a little Marcy, make just a point. It makes a point. Marcy. <laughs> <laughs> Belligerent ghouls run Manchester schools. The thing about hiring is that um, <laughs> bruises bigger than dinner plates. Um, not familiar with their work. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we should we should we should go soon. But um, no, I, I don't know. Like I said, I don't want to make a straw man. I guess it's just I'm still I still have this like funny kind of like uh, glow or halo effect from like visiting this company like over a month ago now, and just feeling I still think a lot about them and like what I could learn from them, what other people could learn from them, and uh, as usual. You know, the, 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 the sad, silly joke is the more you're looking for one tip here, the less you're likely to find it. It's, you know, whenever people try and emulate the success of other companies, you know, we've, we've talked about this since probably the first episode, but you see companies or, or, or douchebag pseudo serial entrepreneurs trying to like go be the next Steve Jobs or be the next wherever. Well, they were that. That Steve Jobs was Steve Jobs. Now you need to go be you and you need to do it in some kind of an interesting new way. Like, what do you learn from that? What do you learn from him? Like, what do you learn from Elon Musk? Well, you learn to have a certain kind of adaptive mind and ability to synthesize a lot of information and make interesting decisions based on what you think will help the company grow, not just stay alive. Um, I mean, that's a few off the top of my head, but that's super hard to do and very, very risky unless you are dedicated to doing what you're doing. I mean, and so like in the... I guess all I'm trying to get at, if there's any like, uh, uh, point, is just that I'm very interested in what in the role that hiring has in going from something that to me used to feel like a notch above refilling the vending machine <laughs> being more of like a core competency. Right. Is like, we not only are great at product, we're not only great at technology, we're not only great at marketing, we're not only great at customer service and responding to the market, but we're great at constantly figuring out 
how to staff up and out in a way that even we might find surprising in mm. a year. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting topic. I like that. Mm. All right, let's button this up. I love you. I love you too, Merlin Man. Mm-hmm.